Simon's apartment is here uh -huh. on Orlando, just off of Third. You know, there's a lot of construction on La Cienega, so you might want to take Fairfax. Oh, thanks. Why don't you just drive him yourself? You can help him pull the trigger. Listen, Todd, I'm going to need to hide out here for a while. You won't believe Shut the fuck up. This little fuck shot my son. Take me home. So what, are you going to shoot all of us? What do you actually want? Justice. Right, that should be the uh, fleshiest bit right there. So it should be okay if you do that. Uh, yeah. Oh, right. Cheers. Just pull the fucking trigger. You pull the fucking trigger. Shoot somebody who knows you're going to be shot. It's different. It's not the same thing. Point. You just shoot him. Boom. I don't mind, obviously. See, he don't mind. If your mother can see you now. You're disgusting. You just pull the fucking trigger. It's not the same thing. It's different. No shit. He shot you in the arm. What are you doing? I work. See, the girl is leaving here. See you later, Claire. Hello again, friends. This is the Film Effect Podcast. Good morning, Film Effect. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's the end of the game right there. That's World War Three. Fucking hot recording right now. I literally never wanted to punch movie in its face more than I had last night. Definitely worth your time. It's it's definitely worth revisiting. Fifteen minutes in, I'm like, uh, Dorothy, we're not in Oakland anymore. It's in 4K, buddy. Check it out. It was kind of like an afternoon, you like drive time type thing. Or like the type of podcast you listen to at work. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Happy New Year, listeners, and welcome to the final Film Effect podcast of 2022, where we give movies the full effect deep dive for the Film Effect archive. In case you didn't know this, we're truly, genuinely, sincerely thankful for all of our listeners and hope everyone's having a very safe, healthy, and fun-filled holiday season. Hope you're all having lots of fun out there, and more importantly, being safe. In the meantime, just sit back and relax while we dive into what I believe is the greatest Christmas Eve film ever made. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is Go. So what are you up to tonight? We're going to this party tonight, this warehouse thing. Some sort of rave thing. Is this going to be cool? Yeah, I guess. Does a British guy still work here? We went to Vegas for the weekend. The British guy usually hooks us up. Let me see what I can do. Give me a number. I can't believe you're selling allergy medicine. Oh, we're out of that. We're down to two of aspirin. I think I feel something. It's really smooth, isn't it? I was not, I was not. 
What do you want for Christmas, Claire? We just kissed a little, okay? Hello, he's a drug dealer. He's a good guy. Oh, he's the good drug dealer. Listen, I just want to make a deal here. Can we make a deal? Are you money, huh? Now watch what I do with his wrist. Back down like that, come on. You know, I watch all these cop shows, and they never do it right, ever. Keep it close, there's an extra 10 bucks in it for you. Get in the car. You stole a car, shot a bouncer, and had sex with two women. So now you're an entrepreneur. You shouldn't do this, Rana. Just drive. Well, if you gotta go. Uh... Doug Lyman, the director of Swingers, Tay Diggs, William Fickner, Katie Holmes, Brecken Meyer, Jay Moore, Timothy Oliphant, Sarah Polly, Scott Wolf. You know what I like best about Christmas? Mistletoe? Mm -hmm. The surprises. When there's nothing to do. So sad. Would you say you're open to new things? Accept what you've done. Is your British ass happy now? When you've gone too far to stop. There's no body, there's no crime. We'll put her in the trunk. Stop! What? Stop it! What? It's a Miata! This spring... Yo, man, I told you, my mother's mother's mother was Your mother's 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 This ain't roots. If you were any less black, you would be clear. <laughs> Nothing will take you farther. It's stuck! Go. Told from three different perspectives, Go is the story of a bunch of young Californians trying to get some cash, doing deals some drugs, score money and sex in Las Vegas, and generally experience the rush of life, all on Christmas Eve. Full disclosure, I genuinely love this film so much. Every watch brings me joy because it's a fun-filled ride that never takes its foot off the pedal. I mean, you've got a stacked cast of late 90s variety and a screenplay from John August that's damn near perfect. And of course, you can't talk about Go without mentioning the soundtrack. It was the soundtrack that reintroduced the world to No Doubt and gave a little unknown band called Len a one-hit wonder that still gets played to this day. And BT's electronic score is aces, I've got to say. It sets the mood for each and every scene and it really gets going during all the right moments. Not to mention, it's BT, so there's that. But yeah, Go just finds a way to keep you engaged for the full hour and a half, and even though the format of the story is a blatant Pulp Fiction ripoff, I'll be damned if I didn't do it. I, I'll be damned if it didn't do for teenagers what Pulp Fiction did for adults just five years earlier. And once we get into the thick of things involving this movie, you'll understand why they chose to utilize Tarantino's unorthodox way of storytelling instead of just making Go the traditional way. I've really been anticipating this episode because I just love this movie and love talking about it. There's even an episode on this movie on Mad Dad Movie Review, but without Madeline. I had my buddy Chris join me for that one. But yeah, can't wait to dive into this episode. Funny enough, I'm not entirely sure where you stand on this movie, Corey. Yeah, I mean, I don't love it as much as you do, but I always liked it. I, You know, the first memory I have of this movie... I, other than like seeing the trailer when it was first released uh, on TV, right, uh, or in theater, wherever I saw the trailer, I remember you had it on DVD. It was like one of the first DVDs you ever had. It was, was go, and I remember me and uh, Andy Metzger were opening it and looking at it, and I remember you were like, "Stop looking at it! You're gonna mess it up." It's my uh, new DVD and my new DVD player, and that was the first memory I had with this movie. 
because uh, at some point we watched it. I, I don't remember when, uh, but I remember watching it, and then, like, half the time you were, like, messing with the features, you're like, look, chapters! <laughs> look, special features and menu! Like, I just remember that, and that was my first experience with Go. Um, yeah, and I remember liking it. I also remember being like, wow, I like DVDs, this is pretty cool. Because <laughs> it was right at that time, and you know, 2000 or 2001, whatever year uh, it was that uh, we were doing that. 99. Or 99, yeah. I, I think I got mine like 2000 or something like that, or maybe maybe it was like very beginning of 2001, yeah. It, it was somewhere around there, like early, but not super early. But anyway, like this movie will always be tied to that to me, like the dawn of uh, when DVDs were becoming <laughs> somewhat reasonable. Like you could get a player for like three hundred dollars back then. I can elaborate. Like- I can elaborate on the story though, because you're not wrong entirely. The um, the, the your memory is pretty pretty uh, spot on. Because I remember it very well. It was one of the first DVDs I bought. It wasn't the first, but it was it was up there with like I just got my DVD player and like the middle of August for my birthday. It was kind of a just random thing. I, I just happened to see a DVD player and I wanted to get, um, I believe it was the faculty and enemy of the state, but they weren't available for sale yet. They had just come out and the only way to buy them was DVD because they were only, you know, rentals on VHS. And th- it was just a, a just, a completely spontaneous decision. I had the birthday money on me and it, it was in my budget, within my budget. It was Emerson DVD player. I remember it very well because it was horrible. The DVD player didn't even play anything. It skipped all the time and it was driving me insane. Like my first DVD player and I'm having nothing but problems with it. And go, what you're remembering is just that. Like me owning the movie and trying to show it off or watch it or whatever it was, and it wouldn't play, and it was just giving me problems. I ended up I ended up taking the uh, the DVD player back and getting um, I think it was a Panasonic or something. I, I kind of upgraded for like fifty dollars more to get the next brand model, but um, and and it worked. I had no issues with that that DVD player afterward. It was just that particular Emerson model that I got. It was just giving me nothing but problems. And, yeah, I remember you and Metzger being around and me trying to show it off, but, like, it just wouldn't play, and it was driving me up a wall. So, yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, you can get into it. I mean, this technically is first-time viewing. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So, technically, that's my second time and i don't i don't i don't want to suck at it so if i'm not up to uh, so yeah like i said it was it was a blind buy and I, I i didn't see it in the theater unfortunately and my first time was once i got that dvd player upgraded to one that actually worked for me i sat down watched it and been a fan ever since so i yeah. imagine similar story for you i was your, i was your around your first time as well yeah, I appreciated this movie a little more when I saw it later. Like, the first time we watched it, you know, because I was, whatever, it was like 13, 14. Right. The first time we watched it, and I liked it, but I actually think I was a little too young, like, because at that point, 
you know, I like these type of movies, but like Can't Hardly Wait or something like that was more in my wheelhouse. Oh, yeah. Whereas uh. this is slightly older, like 20 somethings. So mm-hmm. I actually appreciate it a little bit more when I saw it later. I actually um, I don't have a distinct memory of it, but I remember uh, renting it at some point, um, either when I was working at the video store or after when I was still renting stuff. I remember renting it and rewatching it and liking it a lot more then. Uh, just because I can relate to it by that point. I think I was in my 20s. Uh, so, yeah, I just, you know, we've all had those crazy nights. Obviously, I've never had a night as crazy as anything in this film. But, you know, we, we, <laughs> right. we all have our stories. We all have our own crazy nights. So I could relate a little bit better. So it's a movie I actually have liked uh, more and more over time. You know, it, I wouldn't say, like, it's my favorite or it's like a classic to me, but it, it's definitely a solid film. And especially if you grew up around the time, like we did, uh, it's really mm-hmm. good nostalgia trip. Yeah, it's definitely a classic for me. I, I, I love this movie so much. Um, yeah, we're going to get into it. So, uh, let's do that. But before we actually dive into things, let's do our live top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay. I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation oh, Ruling the Nation. Con- All right, top five favorite Timothy Oliphant roles. Honorable mentions, I got a few. Live Free or Die Hard, his uh, take as the villain, Thomas Gabriel, was, uh, you know, it's it's not up there with uh, Hans or Simon Gruber or um, Colonel Shelton, but I definitely think that there's room for Thomas Gabriel to, to be included in the conversation of uh, just classic diehard villains. Um, there's also A Man Apart. It's a small role. One of his earlier ones. He's got crazy hair. Uh, Hollywood Jack, that was his name. He was a, this big-time drug dealer that uh, Vince, Vin Diesel was after. And uh, finally, uh, it's not a film, but his role on the Santa Clarita Diet with Drew Barrymore as a uh, Joel Hammond. That was a short-lived show. Lasted a few seasons. Kind of got canceled abruptly, which is tends to be the case for most Netflix shows. But this one in particular uh, had me from the first season. I thought it was just a well-thought-up show. Kind of an original idea. And the humor stuck for me. Had a lot of good uh, guest starring roles for different actors that were that just came and went throughout the series. Short-lived series, that is. But uh, yeah, I, I'd I'd um I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Santa Clarita Diet in my honorable mentions. But my number five is A Perfect Getaway. His role is Nick Bennett. Uh, a Perfect Getaway is just. I actually just sat down and rewatched it for the first time in, in several years, uh, a couple months ago, and the movies just it's it's still it still gets me. Um, it's it's got kind of an eye-rolling twist at the end but if you can get past that um it's got some really really good um character development especially his role you know we find out yeah him and um i forgot who plays his wife in that movie but he's just kind of like an everyday man who has all the tools and, and can just 
whittle anything he wants with uh, a knife and, and some, you know, wood. He's just a craftsman, and he can hunt. He's just like the everyday man that Steve Zahn kind of gushes over or is uh, uh, just, I don't know, jealous of or something like that. It's I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's a really good movie. Um, even stronger performance uh, that for that matter. Yeah, I've never seen that one, The Perfect Getaway. I, I mean, I know the movie. It had you know, Steve Zahn, Mia Hovovich, uh, him. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's just one I never watched. Never really had much of a desire outside of the cast. I like the cast, but that was about it. It's got a very young Chris Hemsworth as well. Him and uh, Marley Shelton are um, a couple of uh, hitchhikers that show up to kind of just be your red herrings. But, uh, it, you know, mm. for me to get into it would be spoilers. But, uh, yeah, dude, I'm surprised you've never seen it. Don't worry. I'll lay it on you. I have it on Blu-ray, so you can watch it. It's it's definitely worth uh, a watch. I think you'll like it. Yeah. Anyway, um, I got a couple honorable mentions. Um, one is just a small role, but uh, he was on the second season of Mandalorian for one episode. Um, okay. I don't remember his character's name. It was just a one episode, a one shot. Uh, mm-hmm. But he was in the whole episode, like he was like you know main plot point, and he was great. I really liked his character. He was basically like the sheriff of like this small town on um i forget what uh planet it was in the show but it was like a desert planet um like luke came from so it, it was just like he's like this sheriff with uh, mandalorian armor and it was just a really cool character and he was just really likable and it really stood out it was probably one of my favorite episodes of the season which is saying a lot because mandalorian fucking rules i mean that's like my favorite star wars thing like, I mean, I would take Mandalorian over any of the goddamn prequels or sequels, <laughs> honestly. So to say that's one of my favorite episodes is high praise. But it's just one episode, so I'm not going to put it on my list. Okay. Um, And then uh, The Crazies, uh, just a little horror movie from, you know, whatever it is, like 12 years ago, 15 years ago. 2010. About. Yeah, he, he was pretty good in that. I mean, it wasn't anything, you know, like he had to do crazy or yeah, crazy in the movie. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he was just your... Uh, lead straight man getting through all the crazies but he was good and then I remember liking the movie he was a town sheriff right he plays a sheriff on a lot of his movies and and shows yeah he was police and you know he was the main character getting through it's been a while since I've seen it but I remember it was pretty decent uh, horror movie for the time so I wanted to throw that out there Um, but anyway uh, my number five is hold on now my list just went back down sorry that's alright Oh, yes, my number five, Scream 2. Uh, how can I not talk about Scream 2 when I'm talking Mickey. about Timothy? Mickey, like one of the first, I think the first time I ever saw Timothy Olyphant, it might not have been the first time, but it, it, it was my it's first time for sure. Head. Yeah, so, uh, you know, spoilers, but uh, he's the killer. So <laughs> he's the killer in the second one. It was pretty cool seeing uh, Timothy Olyphant. I remember really liking Mickey uh, and just seeing his charisma come through in that role. So. You know, I definitely wasn't like, you know, obviously a huge fan at that point, but I was definitely looking out for Timothy Oliphant. I was like, uh, who's that guy? I like him. You know, so I, I was happy to see him in that and happy to keep seeing him pop up. Yeah, absolutely. Number four, Justified. Uh, U.S. Marshal uh, Raylan Givens. Just, it's, it's Justified, you know? It, it would just be a crime if I didn't bring that show up on this list 
or anyone's top five list should have this role included. I personally feel it's that good. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things. It's justified. You know, show's been off the air for quite some time. I know it's making a comeback like a lot of shows do. Um, when I say that, I mean like it, it's coming back literally like a new season being filmed right now or it might have already been filmed and it's premiering soon. But uh, either way, it's coming back. Um, but yeah, justified. It's one of those things where if you know, you know. Hopefully, you know. So, yeah, my number four is the film we're about to talk about. Go, uh, I really like his character in this. He's like the kind of sleazy drug dealer, but then he has a thing going on, and maybe he's not such a bad guy, uh, but he kind of is. I don't know. He just seems like a cool guy. Like, I, if I was in this world and I knew him, I feel like I would just want to try to hang out with him. And uh, oh, he's you know, the nice drug dealer. Yeah. <laughs> the nice drug dealer does you a favor uh but anyway yeah I, I like him in this film i think it's pretty memorable it's definitely one of the things as far as his theatrical roles it's definitely one of the most memorable for me yeah number three go todd Gaines. you know we're gonna get into it shortly but it's it's definitely one of his best roles and you know we're about to get into it but I just feel like he crushes it in this movie. Um, you know, he's, he's like the kind of guy that starts off like a person you want to hate. But then, you know, things happen as the story progresses. You know, he's not so bad after all. That's that's how I look at Todd. That's how I look at Todd. Um, then again, we're going to get into it. It's it's the film we're talking about today. So. My number three is uh, one that we've already covered on the show, and that's uh, Girl Next Door. Um, yeah, that that's definitely my favorite of his movie roles. Like, I, I just love he plays the kind of the similar character as Todd, kind of an asshole. Like, you know, you, you want to hate him, but you also like him. And he turns out, I mean, he's not a good guy, but he turns out not to be, you know, the biggest asshole. You know, he just kind of moves on and says, let's make fucky fucky. You know, so how do you not like that? Um... But yeah, I, I like his whole character in Kelly. I think he was really cool. Like his his whole look in the film uh, was really neat, and his whole character and uh, just his interactions with Emil Hirsch were pretty awesome. So yeah, if you haven't seen Girl Next Door, if you haven't listened to the episode uh, Ed I and Jocelyn did, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, number two, Kelly, Girl Next Door, fucking love it. I mean, I raved about it in that episode we did back in September, but uh, I'll take a second to do it again. You know, he's, like you said, just a, a piece of shit who you end up just fucking liking in the end because he just has this charisma and he's so likable even when you want to hate him. Um, he just has this way of just working that elephant charm that he has. And um, he's just funny, too, in that movie. It's just it's a wild character. So, and the, the fact that he was able to pull it off the way he did, it's, it's definitely one of the best things about that movie. I love that movie enough. So, yeah, number two for me is Kelly from The Girl Next Door. Yeah, so it was tough for me on the top two. I mean, his top two for me, it was never in question other than the fact that I didn't know which order I was going to put it in for the top two. So I, I kind of debated and I realized I liked one more than the other. So my number two is... uh his role from Deadwood, Seth Bullock. I think that's probably what mo most people would know him from. 
is Deadwood because I mean he's pretty much synonymous with that show and that was a you know huge show on HBO back in the day. I mean so yeah. much so that they had a movie whatever it was a couple years ago. Um, yeah. and he he was just awesome as Seth Bull. Like I just love the fact that you know he's not the sheriff. He just wants to open his hardware store. You know <laughs> he just wants to sell shit <laughs> with John Hawks. Like that's all he wants. And he keeps getting pulled into crazy shit. Uh, yeah, I just I like his look. I love the mustache in the show. I mean, uh, the mustache his fucking, is legendary. Yeah, his fucking stare when he like shits going down. I mean, oh, yeah. like uh, it's just like it just peers through the screen at me. So I just enjoy him in Deadwood. It's just a great show. I mean, it's probably one of my favorite HBO shows. Uh, you know, him Ian McShane, just an all star cast and. Uh, you know, Timothy Oliphant is definitely at the top of that. Um, you know, was the show all about him? No, but I mean, he was definitely, you know, the, a pivotal part and one of the biggest characters in his performance was uh, top tier the whole time. I totally buy him in the Western setting for sure. Oh, absolutely. My number one, Deadwood, Sheriff Seth Bollock. It's just a great, memorable show his role is perfect he was born to play this character he definitely you know he's not like you said the main character but when he does have something to do to advance the plot or whether he's just on screen for a scene or so like he just brings it and he doesn't even have to try hard and it's just it's good it's it's fucking memorable and the movie too movie is so good like, I was so glad they were able to come back for that movie a couple years back. Um, you know, no ending made me cry harder than that one did. Uh, just, I'm not going to spoil what happens in the end of the Deadwood film, but it, it left me in tears. It, it was just that good. Um, and it doesn't really have much to do with his character. It's just the show and what happens in the end of that film is uh, it, it's one of my favorite film, favorite moments of the show period um but you know whenever like i said whenever he shows up on the the show or in the movie like it's just get ready because he's about to bring it like i said my number one it, it was tough for me to i kept flip-flopping them but i i had to pick Raylan givens justified uh when i think back to it i watched justified from the day it premiered until the day it ended which obviously when it comes back out i'll watch that as well uh, it was just one of those shows where I saw it and I'm like, he's a U.S. Marshal who shoots people and it's Timothy Oliphant. I'm in. Like, as soon as I saw the first trailer, I was like, I'm watching this shit. Uh, you know, it's back in the days where I had a DVR. I was like, I'm DVR in this every week. Um, and the show is just great. I mean, Walton Goggins is the other main lead in that show. And he is probably my favorite character actor, if not one of my favorites. Uh, I just think Walton Goggins is electric and everything and he's in and his and Timmy, Timothy Oliphant's chemistry as the good and bad guy through the whole series is just excellent. I mean, just the way they play off each other, you know, uh, Timothy Oliphant's the, uh, you know, straight lease, Raylan Givens, no fucking around. And then you got Walton Goggins playing, uh, you know, the kind of funny um charismatic bad guy that you like but he's also selling drugs and killing yeah. people so uh yeah it's just one of my favorite shows of uh, recent memory it's one i watched every year i just love the setting of being you know in the mid-south i just love railing uh i just i mean timothy olipan is railing givens like he just fits that role perfectly it's just like the cool 
modern cowboy with the um, accent. And I just totally buy him as that. I totally buy him as the uh, badass who's not uh, taking any shit from anybody and has the charisma too. So yeah, I had to put it on top. I know a lot of people would pick Deadwood, and I love Deadwood, and I love him in that. But Justified is Timothy Oliphant's show. Like, that is his show. Like, he is the main character. He is front and center there. I mean, Walton Goggins isn't far behind, but Justified is Raylan Givens' Timothy Oliphant's show. So that's why I put it at number one, and I just love it. Oh, yeah, no doubt. All right, let's uh, let's talk about Go. Here we go. Go. Yeah, go. <laughs> um. So yeah, real quick, some tidbits. John August, the writer. He originally wrote the portion of the story that involved Rona as a short story called X. It was inspired by the Rock and Roll Ralph's grocery store on Sunset Boulevard. After friends asked about Simon's trip to Vegas and what was going on with Adam and Zach, he wrote two more parts, accounting for the nature of the film. So yeah, it's it's like, and I really didn't know this until just recently when I was doing my research for the episode that um yeah this was all this all came about from just a little short story idea that expanded and that's kind of why we get the structure that we have um i mean i know pop fiction was hot at the time so everyone was trying to do their own little take and you know it works with this format it, it works with this movie um because you know it really is about rona but then there are other you know parts to this story that you do wonder like what about them and that's kind of why the film takes you know the direction that it does so um oh speaking of rona played by sarah polly so yeah her career it's it's an interesting interesting one you know child actor didn't she do directing too later she currently is a director yeah i was gonna say um one of the earliest films i remember her I first saw her in The Adventures of Baron Muskelson. And I think I said that right. But yeah, she's the, the little girl that's in that movie. And then, of course, you know, Go. Um, she was also in, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, The Sweet Hereafter was another one that came out around the time of this. Dawn of the and Dead later. Dawn of the Dead yeah. came out like about five years after this movie did. And that's kind of like what, I don't, I don't want to say... I don't. Yeah, Splice was another one. That was kind of like her last big acting role, I would say, before she turned to filmmaking. Um, you know, she, uh, you know, even small roles like Extensions, which was a uh, John, uh, John, a David Cronenberg movie that came out the same year been, as this. I've been wanting to rewatch that. I saw it a long time ago, and I can't even form an opinion anymore because it's been so long since I'm I've the, seen it. I'm the same way. I want to watch it though, because that is one like I I remember liking, and that the plot is just out there, and it's Cronenberg, so I I gotta rewatch that shit. Yeah, and then after she turned to the directing, about ten years ago, she did a film called Take This Waltz. Well, she didn't do it; she directed it. Uh, she wrote and directed it, and produced it, if that matters. With Seth Rogen and Michelle Williams, it's kind of a serious role for Seth Rogen, coming off of his like high comedic string of films he just decided to you know switch things up and do a dramatic role and that's what this film is uh wrote produced and directed by sarah polly 
also has uh, Sarah Silverman in the film. And uh, yeah, I recommend that one. So go back when it was about to start shooting. It's foreign financing fell through because the film lacked a bankable white male star. That was the quote that I pulled. Columbia Pictures stepped in, financed the film as most of the plot takes place at night. John August recalled being outside in the dark from 8 p.m. until 8 a.m. for 25 days during filming. Uh, he was on set every day, and he had, he actually ended up directing some uh, second unit stuff. I thought I saw his name in the end credits for a uh, second unit director. Yeah, that was him. The writer came on and was like, yeah, let me help out. So yeah, uh, the film itself, first off, I love... How the Columbia logo transitions into the Christmas Eve rave with uh, Lion Rocks fire up the shoe saw, shoe saw that's playing over the opening credits. Like, the late 90s was a very flashy time. Everything's fast-paced, and I'm over here 20, 25 years later like, slow the fuck down. You're moving too fast, <laughs> 90s. Come on now. <laughs> and that was, that was all the rage, you know? Every movie had to open up with, like, just fast-paced, you know? Fast-paced. That was every single movie it felt like back then. Um, first person we see is Claire. Yeah, Claire. Uh, Kate Holmes. Katie Holmes, whatever. Talking to an unseen human about how she loves Christmas because of all the surprises that happens. Lo and behold, it's another film that sets that starts at the beginning. That starts at the end. But this one's forgiven since we the audience don't know this yet. Um... But yeah, she's just babbling and babbling, dude. And I'm not quite sure exactly what kind of Christmas she's longing for. Like, personally, I can't even tell you the last time I was genuinely surprised on Christmas. And she's sitting here talking about, I love the surprises. I love the gifts. I love this. I love that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, you're just kind of painting everyone's perfect Christmas. I mean, you do you, Katie Holmes. But um, <laughs> Maybe she still believes in Santa. Probably does. Wouldn't be surprised. Then we cut to a grocery store that's simply called Sons. That's it. With Sarah Polly, who, like I said, plays Rona. Um, and yeah, I mean, we just had the conversation about Sarah Polly. You know, we've never talked about her on the show before. We've never actually covered a movie that she's been in. It's not like she has, like, the biggest career. Um, that's not a knock, by the way. You know, she just chooses her projects you know, seldomly. It's not like she needs to get every single role in there. Um, she's the kind of person that just kind of likes to stay quiet away from the away from the spotlight. I respect that. You know, I've got nothing but respect for people that are like that. So yeah, um, I'm a, you know. I'm a big fan. I mean, like you said, I mean, you know, she hasn't been in a ton of stuff. I, you know, I remember for Miss uh, Dawn of the Dead, she was the main character. Splice, she was one of the main characters. So it's not like I've seen her, and I've probably seen her in something else, uh, but it's not like I've seen her in a ton of stuff, but I mean, she's good in everything I've seen her in. You know, oh, like she's, she's a strong... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I'll say she plays the character of like the, you know, street smart, um, you know, tough girl in a lot of the films she's in. Mm -hmm. And uh, she just like her face, like she gives like stares and she's very expressive. Like e even without her talking a lot of times, I can get exactly what her character is trying to convey just from her face. <laughs> and I mean, not all actors are like that. You know, everybody's different. But 
Um, I think her face is very expressive in certain ways. And, uh, you know, I, I, watching it, uh, watching Go again, it just made me realize that even more. I just like some of the looks uh, she gives some of the characters. Um, I'm just like, I know exactly what's going on without her even <laughs> speaking a word. So that's just a compliment to her. I mean, not all actors can do that shit. No, I agree. There's definitely moments in this movie where she gives off a look like she's just like, I, I just don't fucking care. But like, you know, it, it, I don't know. I can't even put my word. I, I can't even form a word uh, or a sentence rather uh, uh, about this. But yeah, yeah, I agree. She's 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 great. She is. Um, originally, she wasn't the first person that they tried to get to play the character. Um, originally, Rona was uh, supposed to be played by Christina Ricci. But uh, I can she, see that. She was, I can she, see Christina Ricci in there. Yeah, me too. And especially around this time, she was cast in everything. But then she had to drop out because of scheduling conflicts. Scheduling conflicts around the year ninety nine, two thousand. You know, she's. I, I, I know in ninety eight. Oh man, what was that movie called? There was a. Uh, because this is around the time where Ricci was like breaking out and and doing like a more adult roles um what is the movie i'm thinking of that came out around this time it's um the opposite of sex that's what it is that she did and of course she was also in john waters pecker the year prior but um you know the same year as sleepy hollow so maybe that's the reason why she had to step away because i know sleepy hollow didn't have the uh easiest um shoot so maybe that's the reason maybe that's the film that you know she wasn't able to do this. I don't know. Um, wish I did. But yeah, Doug Lyman picked this grocery store because of its rundown big city quality. But when the producers paid the owner of the supermarket for you know permission to film there, the owners took some of that money and repainted and repaired the store for a more Hollywood look. Did not go well with the director and the and the, <laughs> and, and the crew. Rather, they just they it's not what they wanted. Since that was the reason they picked the store, and you know, in the first place. So the producers, pal, they could have just told them that communication's key. I always say that the producers, after being, you know, after getting constant from the the store, they hired a crew to bring the store back to what it looked like before. The finished product is obviously <laughs> what you see in the just, movie. I can see the crew just ripping shit back out. Like the owners are just standing there like, what's happening? Your job <laughs> is to fuck this place up. <laughs> um, see, so we get this scene that kicks everything off with the coupon lady. She's like, you didn't double my coupons. And then she gets on her about, you know, double bagging the bleach and, and, and can't put it in the same bag. It's poison. You know, Sarah Polly, her her expression is great. You know, she's like, the woman tells her, don't think you're something you're not. I used to have your job. And she just comes back with the quip. Look how far it got you. Paper or plastic? Paper or plastic? Paper or plastic? Both. You didn't double my coupons. They're at the bottom, in red, where it says double coupons. 
can't do that. You can't put bleach in the same bag as food. It's poison. Don't think you're something you're not. I used to have your job. Look how far it got you. <laughs> it's just, it's perfect. <laughs> so Polly said in interviews that she only took the role because she loved the line and look how far it got you. That was the line that got her to sign on the line. Um, Lyman insisted on casting Polly after seeing the sweet hair after and offered her the role outright without the need for an audition. Sarah Polly had to be really convinced to do the film because she really didn't want to be in it. She had no desire to make a movie in Los Angeles she wanted to stay up in Canada, her native home, but uh, I, I guess money talks, you know. Then the film goes all all pop fiction on us, and we begin the first story, titled Rona. Pop fiction, you know, like I said, it came out five years prior to this. It was all the rage, and a lot of films were trying to do this kind of structure. You're, you know, just unorthodox just different you know it, it was just a spontaneous format that I dug I welcomed it when I first saw this in 99 um, I know there were a lot of people that were moaning about it whatever it's the same people that moan over the what we call the quote unquote fight club ending you know you've gonna, you're gonna have those people and I don't know where are you at on this pop fiction structure do you care for it do you have an opinion do you don't do whatever i mean all i care about is if it's a good movie i mean if it if it benefits the movie or works in the sense of the movie it doesn't bother me i mean i'm not the type that's like uh you know i've seen this structure several times i mean you know what do they say there's seven stories that are ever told and everything we watch is just a variation on that so it's like everything's been done everything's been copied or reformulated so it's like, as long as the movie's good and entertaining to me, I don't really care what kind of structure it has. I mean, I think for this movie, huh. it's a perfect structure because, you know, you have Rhoda, the main character, that's the main story. And then you have all the side characters that fill in the blanks for everything else. I, I mean, I think it works really well. You know, I, I mean, if it was a movie where it would benefit from a straightforward plot and they were just jumping around just to jump around because hey Tarantino did it in Pulp Fiction then yeah I would probably be annoyed but uh, this movie I think is a prime candidate for that because it's one of those type of movies where it's a you know crazy party night movie with an ensemble cast I mean makes sense to me yeah not only that but you have you know obviously the film is mainly focused on Rona but then you bring in these other elements or layers if you will like Todd, you know, the character of Simon, who we'll be talking about soon, Adam and Zach, you know, these are just people that are just, they, they, they show up, then they go and do things that they claim they're doing. They say they're going to do it, but we don't see it. You Normally, you probably would just, it'll, it would be hearsay. You would just hear about what happens. But for this story, because it was originally just going to be about Rona, you know, this gave the, it gave both John August and Doug Lyman options. And, you know, it, it gave them a, a, a reason to break from the traditional, you know, sense of storytelling to 
also tell these stories about these characters who are going to go off and do things that we hear about in this story, but then it's like, what happens, you know? Plus, you also have pieces to this puzzle that don't really make sense if you're just watching this story that you find or that you, you know, you're going to, you know, it, it all makes more sense later on through the eyes of other storytellers. So, um, yeah. So Ronan's in the back. She's fresh off of a 14-hour shift at the register. 14 hours, man. That's got to be killer. And then we get Desmond Askew's uh, Simon. Comes up to her. He's got a proposition. He wants to go to Vegas with his buddies for the first time. He's heard it was great. But he can't go because he has to work. She's on the verge of being evicted on Christmas Day for a lousy $380. Yes. She's being evicted for less than $400. Crazy. So he gives her his shift to cover there, to cover right then and there, as well as cash up front, which looks to be enough to cover half. I love the line, though. They wouldn't evict you on Christmas. You'll be ho, ho, homeless. (laughs) I know. And it's just like, I I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it more, but like the fact that she's worried about getting evicted on Christmas, because obviously no one gets evicted on Christmas. Like, no, nobody's evicting anybody. It almost makes me wonder if it's like her family or something like that. You know, that they're like, you know, if she doesn't pay up, she lives with her family. If she doesn't pay up, they're going to kick her out on Christmas. Maybe she doesn't have a good home life. Maybe I'm reading into that. that. I've never thought about that that way. Yeah. I don't know. It's just something that popped into my head. I'm like, well, because, you know, they make the comment of like, who gets evicted on Christmas? And she's like, well, I can. (laughs) So I'm just, I don't know any other scenario you would get evicted then. Yeah, I, I can't see like in any world where that would even happen you know like i know how evictions work you know i know you have to be late or whatever you just can't be outright evicted you have to have a a stern reason nine times out of ten it's because you're late for x amount of months or whatever it is but then there's also you can't just be like they give you a date and it's not like that date comes and like you have to be out by then well you do but it's 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 not like them and their staff comes and, and gets you out if you if you're not it it it's a process like I said like the sheriff has to come there has to be you know an actual law enforcement officer there present for this and on Christmas I don't think that there's going to be too many cops or sheriffs going out of the way you know what I mean to to just you know watch this go down because I'm sure there. Are, lengthy processes i'm not i can't speak like i've been evicted but you know i I know people who have been on the verge of being evicted so you know i just can't imagine a cop with on christmas day be like oh yeah i'll dedicate a few hours it's bad enough i'm working on this day but now i gotta go and watch this bullshit go down it's i don't know but i digress uh rona claire and their friend manny they're in the back hanging out in the store inside the freezer um you know fucking stealing orange juice from customers taking turns naming off dead celebrities in an effort to avoid uh, working up front that is until the manager busts in and orders one of them to get up front it's like your break ended 15 minutes ago who's up front so i know the film is portraying this manager as a stubborn asshole 
But the dude's got a point. I mean, these three motherfuckers are literally chilling and having their own fun on this guy's time in the back. You know, like, we see Manny literally. This the, the scene kicks off with Manny ripping an orange juice out of a customer's hand. So it's like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah. looking back at things, you know, as an adult 25 odd years later, it's like, yeah, I definitely would be on this guy's side too. Be like, get off your fucking asses. I'm paying you. You know, sure, you're in the you're in the middle of a 14 hour. Now it's probably like 22 hour shift, but no one forced you to work that long. I don't feel sorry for you. So yeah, that's that. Um, and something else too. She claims she needs the money because she's being evicted on Christmas Day. It's Christmas Eve. This job, unless they're paying you under the table, it's, it's not like you're gonna get that money right away. No, <laughs> yeah, I never you know understood I mean? that either. <laughs> So, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I just, like I said, I mean, maybe this guy is paying them under the table. I doubt it, but that's not how paychecks work. Uh, Serona's being, they're, like I said, they're naming off dead celebrities in alphabetical order. Rona's got the letter X, and she throws down Malcolm X, but then it gets challenged because apparently you can throw down challenges if you're not satisfied of someone's answer in this game. So later on, she's working up at the register. Manny comes up and name drops Xerxes, which catches the attention of Scott Wolf, who chimes in and says he took a theater arts class or something of that nature. And him and Jay Moore are buying a fuck ton of juice while looking to score some X from Simon. Of course, Simon's not there. They tell her they're looking for someone, something to go with their juice, something euphoric. Suddenly, she has this flashing light bulb moment, sets up the deal herself, thinking that she can, you know, make a little bit of money on top, too. So, this is also the first time we hear of this Christmas rave that's going to be the centerpiece of the film. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, Omar Sharif is mentioned as a dead celebrity, even though he hadn't passed away until 2015. Not in 1999 when the film takes place. He was still alive, so that's that. Um, yeah, and Rona's, you know, going around Simon, seeing Todd, his dealer herself. Ballsy. That's a ballsy move. Very uh, ballsy. Going around somebody like that, especially, you know, because as you see, you know, later when she goes to make the deals, it's not like she's buddy-buddy. Like, yeah, they met, like, you know they know each other but it's not like they're buddy buddy at all so it, it's definitely ballsy going around somebody because a you could piss off the person you're going around but also b you don't know how the uh dealer's gonna react <laughs> when oh, you're moving up and i love it too i'm looking forward to talking about that coming up because like he, he just the look on Olden's face when she comes in it's like what are you doing here what is this bullshit you know he knew something was up yeah like he's not dumb like he knows something's going on for her to be there you know so obviously and let me ask you is there like a thing with juice and x or something like why are they buying a bunch of juice like is that just because they're idiots and that's the cover they came up with or is that like a thing it's the cover there's there's no like thing about drinking a lot of juice taking x no that's just buy a pack of gum why the fuck do you need all the juice (laughs) i don't know so i mean you would think something simple because you're like you know it's like buy a pack of gum or buy like 25 things of juice, you know, what's more conspicuous, you know, it just, who, 
who are you? I, I don't know. I, I It's whatever. So, like I said, she goes around Simon to see Todd herself, knowing that he's... She knows that Simon gets deals and overcharges his customers, increases their personal profit. So, Claire and Manny, they're against it, of course. They're like, no, you, you can't do this, you know? She goes anyway. We cut to her at Todd's front door and, you know, let's talk about Todd, you know? Just all of him. He was um, cast in this movie after he was fired from Practical Magic. Um, there's a character in that film played by Aiden Quinn. Originally, that was Timothy Oliphant. Uh, his manager was desperate to find him another role, and he was cast at the last minute as Todd in this movie. He ended up staying in the same L.A. hotel room that had been booked originally for Practical Magic while filming Go. So it was kind of a last-minute thing, just... You know, it happens. You know, just you go from one film to another. Or in this case, you're potentially going to be in this role that doesn't work out, but then you have this other role lined up. And that's the case that happened here with Timothy Olfin. So Ronan's got the nerve to ask for a favor. She wants 20 hits of ecstasy. So he turns the music up and makes her strip because. This is both random and highly sketch, not going to lie. She complies and immediately questions her coming in for 20 hits, which just happens to be the magic number when personal possession becomes intent to distribute. She's a bit shaken, but is still holding her own, telling him that she would never fuck him like that. So he ends up getting the pharmaceuticals ready and tells her not to fuck around with it and not to double dose or else your brain's going to be like, you know, fry on a frying pan like them fucking commercials. So she hits him with a, I know you charged Simon 10 per hit after he asked for 15 a hit, 300. And Jesus goes, inflation's a bitch. <laughs> I love Todd. <laughs> I love Todd. Yeah. I mean, he's taking a chance on her. Like he's never dealt with her personally before. And she's haggling. Like you just got to love the balls there. <laughs> and we're not even done, character. dude, because she asked for a fucking front. So, Oliphant Todd thought the character needed a neck tattoo. However, Doug Lyman, the director, thought it was a bad idea because it would make him appear too sinister. So, the next day, Oliphant showed up with a temporary tattoo of a pair of flaming dice that the makeup department had stamped on his neck. He ended up liking it, after all. Simon, uh, not Simon, uh, Doug Lyman, the director, he liked it and kept it in the movie. So, um, Rona only has $200 from what Simon gave her earlier. She asked him to take it as a down payment. And then she, well, he asked for collateral, something important, something that he knows she's going to come back for. This is the real thing. Pharmaceutical grade, not that crunchy herbal rave shit. Don't let anybody double dose. You'd be frying eggs off them in the emergency room. Only one hit per headbanger. Understood. 2015 is 300. 15. I was thinking more like 10. It's just, I know you charge Simon 10. Inflation is a bitch. Hey, here's the deal, right? There are 20 of us. I need all of this. But I mean, I only have $200. Like, that's all I have. 
No, 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 no. Okay, hear me out. Hear me out, okay? This 200 is like a down payment, all right? You give me the stuff, I go back to them, I get the extra 100, I come right back here and pay you. See, that would be doing you a favor, and you know how I feel about favors. I could leave something with you. Collateral. I already got a fucking swatch. I need something I know you'll come back for. Enter Claire, her friend. Um, who she puts up as collateral. So, Claire. <laughs> her friend, yeah, she's just like, uh, take Claire. She actually makes her friend Claire an accessory in this moment. Like, how would we feel about being in this situation and being asked by, you know, you know, if it was me or in your case, you or your, in my case, you, just being put in that situation. Like, she's just being asked to spend her Christmas Eve with a strange, random drug dealer. I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of taken back by it. It's yeah. I'm not gonna lie. If you asked me to do that, I'd be like, "Fuck off." <laughs> I'm not staying with a random drug dealer. Yeah, no, exactly. I've got about fifty things I could think of off the top of my head that are better than this. Uh, Rona gets Manny to drive her to the house where Scott, you know, and and Jay Moore are quote unquote pre-gaming with twenty friends or so. She goes inside. And it is fucking dead. It is quiet. There's nothing going on. This house is empty as shit. Something's up. She's, um... Yeah, she just... It's just the two of them and William Fickner. Interesting. So, this entire scene screams red flag. The way he's asking questions and how there's no juice, even though the two of them bought enough juice to supply an entire fucking class... Nothing's going right. She smells the bullshit. Immediately asks for a bathroom. She goes in there. She is panicked. She just starts flushing these pills right away. Fickner's yeah, trying to jump up and sneak a peek in the window up above the door. Yeah, like, I mean, think about it. Like, I would be panicked too. Like, you know, it's like not in her normal wheelhouse. She's trying to do this to make some money, and now it's fucking going sideways, and it's like, you know, you don't have any time at all. Like, I mean, Fickner's right there, like, jiggling the door. You need help? You need help? Yeah. What's going on? No time to think, either. Like, it's just put in the moment. She's got her best friend pretty much at this point being held hostage. <laughs> um, it's, it's nuts, dude. It's nuts. So she's flushing everything. Fickner's trying to get in. She leaves, says no deal. She said that she came there to tell them that she couldn't find she couldn't find anything and then ridicules Fickner for letting her drink a beer that he gave her when she's only 17. And I don't know, a question suddenly came to mind while watching this and it's one that never hit me once before. Why did she even flush the pills when she just told them no deal anyway? And wasn't even checked you know what i mean yeah i don't know i guess in the moment sure she didn't get popped for possession yeah i mean i guess being in the moment you you think differently but in hindsight it's like why'd you go and do a stupid thing like that because now you got no pills no money no nothing so she stumped her uh manny don't know what to do they got no drugs no money i mean Really, it's just $100 we're talking about. But then again, she can't even afford $380 for rent. 
Then they get this genius idea to fake the pills and return them to Todd. Jesus Christ. Of all the ideas she's got that involves Todd, she's going to go and fuck him over now. Even though he's yeah. went out of his way to do her favors, she's going to return the favor with this. Yeah, so, this is really dumb. Like, yeah. you know, Todd obviously isn't the nicest guy, but I, it would have been, I think, so much better if she had just went back and told him the truth and, you know, tried to work something out. I mean, he still might have reacted badly, but yeah, doing this is just like disrespectful because it's almost like challenging his intelligence by giving him <laughs> it, it by giving him fucking over the counter meds, which I mean, by the way, like if you ever think of doing that, like any dealer with a saw is going to notice that immediately. Yeah, they, don't do that. Like it, they, this would only work in a movie because any dealer with a saw is going to take one glance and be like, what the fuck is this? This is Tylenol. This isn't what I gave you. Like, <laughs> you know, you're going to get busted immediately. Number one shot. Number one, listeners, don't return your drugs to the dealer. Okay? <laughs> yeah, there's it's, no it's, refunds. There's no refunds in drug dealing, okay? Um, <laughs> Take it from us. Yeah. Don't do not do that, okay? And if you try and do that, you're already... Just, there's like a ton of red flags. Just, just it, it, It's sketch city. And if you're going to do that, the absolute last thing you want to do is give him baby aspirin. Don't do any of that. So this is like a guide to things you don't ever want to do. Pay attention, folks. It's it'll come in handy one of these days. So yeah, um, they, yeah, this 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 happens. So they go to the store. Meanwhile, Manny is he reveals to to Rona that he double dosed and starts really really tripping balls like. He's geeking left and right, sweating profusely. I mean, right here, exhibit A and the only exhibit you'll need, the supermarket scene. Like, Rona goes in to steal all these, this this assortment of medications while Manny and this random woman who works at the, at the, the store, they have a Macarena moment. Like, this scene has always gotten to me. He's tripping. And... He's kind of behind her, like, scanning, like, his hand. Like, he's, like, kind of, like, it's, like, like, he's working a turntable, almost. And he imagines this woman turning around, and the Macarena starts playing, like, a, like a fast-paced version of the song. And they, like, start dancing around the, 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 the vegetables and the fruit and all that, and... There's like this spinning moment. He takes a bite of a banana and they're spinning around in a circle and the cameras like pan on both their faces. And Manny's like, I've always loved this scene because like the look on Manny's face while he's spinning around with this banana like coming out of his mouth. It's hilarious, dude. Like, <laughs> this, this is a key moment for me, this, this Macarena bit here. I've always loved it. It'll always be one of my favorite scenes in this movie. So yeah. Um... Rona goes to switch the pills out, but doesn't remember what the real ones looked like. Okay? If you're going to do this, and you're going to try and give baby aspirins or whatever it is to your drug dealer to play it off like it's ecstasy, what you originally bought, remember what they looked like. Okay? 
She actually asked Manny, who doesn't even know what planet he's off, he's fucking on right now, <laughs> if the real pills were round or oval, and if they resembled other pills. Like, oh my fucking god, take this scene like, no, it's it's all wrong. Um, and yeah, we go back to Todd's place. Meanwhile, Simon calls and asks Todd about the details of this warehouse party. Todd pushes the subject of Claire being a virgin before Rona returns with his quote unquote pills. Blaming it all on a case of miscommunication. Oh, and meanwhile, Manny's life is quietly threatened by Todd's black cat as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the I love the tripping out by Manny. But uh, I just want to ask: Do you think Katie Holmes's character is a virgin? I totally think she is. Absolutely, I, I think she's a goody good, and the way she reacts, I do. I think it's I think totally. I mean, the opening monologue with her like loving Christmas because of the surprises kind of like gives off her immaturity, you know? And that right there tells me you're not getting laid. No. <laughs> you you you're still you're you're just you're too scared. I'm sorry. Um so yeah, the, the <laughs> Claire, Rona, and Manny they, they they make it out. Todd lets him go. Todd's like, "All right. This sucks, but I'm keeping this." Uh yeah, they go to this parking lot outside of the warehouse party. Um yeah. Manny's car. I'm assuming this is Manny's car and not Rona's. I love the Christmas gear. Like, inside and out. Like, how it's decked out with garland and there's lights all around. Like, who does that to their cars? I know people get, like... Um, sometimes you'll see, like, lights around license plates. Or you'll see, like, uh, another big one is um, a wreath. People love to put wreaths on their front grills while they're driving around during the holiday season. But they Manny's car is just full out decked. He's got the, the garland around all the windows. He's got Christmas lights around, hung up. Like, I'm not going to lie. I fucking love it. <laughs> it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, to answer your question, too, like, I do see people with decorations, and it's usually people with piece-of-shit cars. Oh, God, Because yeah. they're like, ah, it's a piece of shit. I don't care what happens to it. I'll make it look festive. Because you don't see people with, like, Ben's E-classes uh, strapping reindeer shit and reeves to their car. You know, they don't want to mess it up. <laughs> no. So, God, no. Uh, it's, it's usually pieces of crap cars. It's actually a funny story about that because uh, originally I was going to get my dad's old station wagon as my first car, um, you know, which is horrifying to think of. But then when I, I was like, well, you know, it's an old piece of shit that's not worth any money. I was like, maybe I'll just put like crazy lights inside of it. And just do whatever I want, because who cares? It's not worth anything. So I was kind of planning to do something similar. Not Christmas theme, but just decorations inside the right. wagon. Because I'm the guy driving a station wagon, you know? Right. Um, she, Arona, if she hasn't done this enough, she's now continuing to push her luck. And now she gets rid of these aspirins and Tylenols. For rent money, of course, passing them all off as ecstasy, going around this rave. Um, she asks Manny to to crown her. She's got this little rave crown on her head. She's going around selling this shit to random bubblegum ravers who are gullible enough to buy allergy medicine from total strangers. I'm sorry. You're you you're stupid as shit. Um, yeah, they first some, sell them. Some oh, people are dumb as shit, though. Like I don't know. I buy like the fact that you know the, 
people would be that dumb because she gives one to, you know, some guy that's already super high and, you know, he's like, I feel smooth, guys, because let's be real. Everybody's been there where they're, you know, maybe doing drugs, maybe smoking some weed that's not the greatest. But, you know, maybe you exaggerate what it's actually doing to you at that age because you want to feel good, you know, <laughs> so I, I buy it. It's a placebo effect. Yeah, placebo. Absolutely. Simple as that. Um, yeah, they first saw him to a bunch of ravers in this soccer mom van and Rona tells them to smoke a lot of pot. Um, no, she's like, you smoke it makes it even better. You smoke like a ton of pot with it. I think I feel something. It's really smooth, isn't it? Yeah. Donna's brother here is a pharmacist, so uh, he got it for us. Chip. His name's Chip. Um, my brother. Is it like a wave? Or is it like a zoom? It's like floating. Like, hey man, how's the ground down there and shit? I got it. Holy yeah. shit. Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh shit. Oh. Is it really that cool? Oh man, you gotta try it. Shit, I'll buy it for ya. Oh. You know what makes it even better? If you take like a lot of pot with it. I mean like like a lot of pot. Oh. So yeah, uh some couple facts. Doug Lyman, the director, had never been to a rave ever until pre-production on this movie when they made their own rave. So he was a rave virgin up until this film and yeah dude this rave itself man you get this big ass glowing black light santa that's like front front and center when you first go in like this place is pretty decked out pretty cool like it kind of reminds me of the old paradox down here in baltimore that's uh no longer around but they had their their rave parties and stuff on friday nights like until all the wee hours of the morning that's exactly what this is. This is just an all-nighter. You know, we're going to start around 10-ish, and we're going to fucking just... Till the sun comes up. Until Santa Claus is heading back to the North Pole. Until next year, we are going to rave our asses off. But, you know, it's it's just a cool centerpiece. This this rave itself. You know, like I said, you get, you've got that big-ass Santa. And that's, like, the one thing I take from this movie is, like, that big Santa... I know in the back of the old DVD, like there's a photo of it, so it's it's back there. But uh, you know, it's still one of the things that I take from this movie that I always remember is the the, the cool, you know, animatronic. Or I think I think it's animatronic. This this black light Santa Claus to go. It's it's perfect. I mean, number one, who's doing a rave on Christmas Eve? But I digress. It's it's still it happened and and still a pretty badass idea. Um, and just the things they had to show for it. I just got a ton of praise. That's all. Um, see ya. Rona makes her $400 and she's starting to act a lot like Todd. She's using yeah. a bunch of his slang. She's doing things such as making potential buyers show her, her tits, show her their tits. Um, speaking of Todd, He's about to discover that he has been fucked over and made a fool of. So, off to the rave he goes with a gun in hand. Because he goes to, like, 
I don't know. He, he grabs his little plate and he checks the the pills that he, she gave him, and he's like, "This ain't right." So he goes to his stash. I like how he keeps them all in like random bottles in his fucking just random drawers in the kitchen, and he pulls out a bottle to compare them, and sure enough, she did not bring back the same thing she came out with or she left with. So he he's serious, dude. He actually takes a gun. He's intending on killing her. Um, yeah, and I think I think the main reason isn't even the money. I think it's just the fact that he was duped. He probably feels dumb. His and ego, also yeah. annoyed. Yeah, but, you know her ego. That's why I said, I, you know, if she would have went back and just been honest, it wouldn't have went well. But it would it would be, I think, a whole hell of a lot different. I don't think he would have pulled a gun on her and tried to kill her right away. I think they would have figured something else out. Maybe something sleazy, but. You know, something else out, but I think the fact that, you know, his ego got hurt, so now he's got to go make an example out of her. Yeah. Um. Oh, man, here he is. So, yeah. So, Todd, even when he gets in line to get inside of this thing, he overhears people using this dialect. It's, it's, yeah. That, that <laughs> probably makes him even more angry. Just a hunch. So at this point, Manny's gone. And when I say gone, like I'm talking about upstairs mentally. He's fucking checked out. He's functional enough to spot Todd and he warns Rona. But that's it. She, He's functional just enough to listen to her. She, she you know, makes a run for her. She takes Manny with her. She hides him in an alley and then she goes to escape herself. But she's confronted by Todd in the parking lot and she's you know backing up and shit because he's carrying a gun she's about to die essentially but before Todd can do anything this random car just hits her in reverse and yeah dumps her in the ditch and takes off Todd thinks she's instead of Stillinger and walks away, casually looks around, and then walks away. But yeah, Rona's not dead, though. She's just really fucked up. Now, my question to you is, is this her karma? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. I mean, she definitely was taking advantage of people. Definitely, uh, obviously, stole money from Todd, you know, which obviously... You know, that calls into question ethics of, you know, is it bad if you're stealing from a bad person? And I would argue, yeah, shouldn't steal from anybody. So, yeah, it's a little bit of karma. I mean, does she deserve to nearly die? Probably not. But, you know, also, you know, she's getting a little big for her britches and getting a little oh, yeah. out there selling oh, drugs yeah. <laughs> or at least fake drugs. She's so, moving too yeah. fast. Yeah, I think uh, this might be a wake-up call. Like, uh, you know, maybe just pulling double shifts at the grocery store might be a little better, a little safer. If not less lucrative, but, you know, at least you're not going to get hit by a Miata at 2 a.m. or whatever time it happens. Oh, and Manny, he would be dead. Like, 100%. Oh, he would be totally dead. Yeah. Left he, for he, dead, he would be done. His brain would be fried. Like, you know, like what Todd said, it, it, it's medical-grade stuff, because this happens all the time. People take too much because they don't know the strength. Right. And if you don't get medical attention right away, like, they would literally have to put him in, like, a bed of ice. Mm-hmm. He, he would be fried. So, yeah, he would be totally dead. Uh, I mean, I guess you can make the argument of uh, he was outside and it might be a little cold outside. But realistically, 
The only way you survive something like that is get medical attention and get iced. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Um... Okay, so yeah, we're back at Simon's Supermarket from earlier in the day, and now it is time for Simon's story. So we see James Duvall, Breckenmeyer, and Tate Diggs, uh, Tate Diggs driving through the desert with Simon in the trunk of the car because he passed out before they left, and they let him out in the desert, they pull over, he's let out of the car, and immediately pukes before the scene ends, and Oh, we gotta talk about Breckenmeyer and this character he's portraying named Tiny, because he's a, he's a lot. He's a lot of things. He's telling this story involving a contact lens and his dick, which happens to be the same story that Tay Diggs previously said that he mentioned. Uh, that he's a story that he told before. Um, that obviously Tiny picked up on. He's dropping n bombs, claiming he's got African American blood. Like, I'm not going to lie. This scene's pretty cringe to watch. Yeah. I don't know how yeah. you feel about it, but I was like, oh, I forgot that we go there in this movie. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a little bit. It would be different. Like, if you're redoing this movie today, this would definitely be different. You know, it would be the same, you know, sense of the scene of, you know, Breck and Meyer's character trying to show off. But, you know, obviously things would be tweaked with the language and, you know what he's talking about but it is just i i find it hilarious that he's telling a story that uh he his friend has already told him it's just like how dumb can you be like at least if you're gonna steal someone's story make sure you're not telling it to him you know at least make sure if you're gonna steal it you're gonna go to another group of friends and tell them i mean obviously don't steal the story because tay diggs is totally right like it's the little details and minute things that make the story entertaining not the broad strokes, you know, it, it, it's all the little anecdotal stuff that makes it funny. So, but yeah, I love Breckenmeyer just, you know, just being a fucking hot dog right here and just being a complete idiot. And I like how he plays it off at the end. He's like, ah, I was just playing, man. You know, I'm trying to look cool. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, what do you want right. from me? I'm, I'm Brecken fucking Meyer. What do you want from me? Trying a little too hard, if you ask me. But anyway, meanwhile, the uh, fella stop and eat at this buffet and Tiny and James Duvall, whose his character's name is Sing, by the way, they're both eating lobster meat. Even though Tay Diggs tells no, them shrimp, they're eating shrimp. Oh, why did I think it was lobster? No, it was shrimp. It, it was like a shrimp. You're right. No, thing. you're right. It is shrimp. You're and right. He's like the iodine in the shrimp, which is totally true. Like at those cheap buffets. Uh, you know, and I can't really speak to Vegas. I mean, I've been to Vegas, but uh, I can speak to cheap buffets. That stuff can mess you up. It, Why it is that? Because I know you're working food, so you obviously would know a lot more than I would. Yeah, so what uh, Tay Diggs' character is saying, the iodine is totally true. So basically, the shrimp cocktail you're getting there is the cheapest, shittiest shrimp you could possibly get. I mean, they're finding it in probably like the landfill of Louisiana. And they're taking Ugh. these shrimp and cleaning them with iodine. And the iodine seeps into your, uh, obviously, stomach and bloodstream. And if you eat a little bit of it, it's not a big deal. But if you're pounding shrimp down like these guys are, it's going to be a big deal. And you're not going to feel that great. So honestly, if you're going to a buffet and there's a lot of seafood and it's unlimited, you know, maybe go light on it. Maybe don't eat 
uh, you know, 50 shrimp right there because it's not going to be as good as the stuff you would get at a, a, a regular restaurant or grocery store. It's going to be the lowest common denominator so the buffet can make the money back. That makes sense. Alright, um... Yeah, so these assholes get to their room. Tiny and Singh end up shitting their guts up from the lobs from, from the shrimp. And they end up sharing a door with another room that has Cortland Mead randomly turning up. Child actor we've mentioned before on the podcast. Cortland Mead, look him up. It's the most ridiculous inclusion of a film. And there's only... It, it, it's... It, I don't know. It, it's... They're pretty much to just advance the plot later on i don't know it's it's i've never been to i've never been to vegas but i've never been in a hotel that has a door that's shared between another room have you yeah it's pretty common is it Uh, yeah it depending on where you stay especially if it's a resort where families stay because uh you know families like if you have parents and kids you want rooms next to each other with adjoining doors so that you know you can have privacy but you can also walk in and out of the rooms uh you know without going out in the hallway so yeah it's fairly common i feel like it was more common back in the 90s like you know pre-90s and before that i feel like it's less common nowadays in a more modern hotel because you know there's just more suites and just have a bigger room right if you have a family but yeah adjoining doors like i mean who uh, one of the most memorable things from adjoining doors in a movie was uh rookie was of the year daniel stern rookie, rookie of the year daniel stern gets caught between two doors which i'm pretty sure in real life would be impossible because the doors usually are like oh yeah right up against each other yeah but it it's was, not yeah it was hilarious. That's the first thing I think of with adjoining doors, and this movie's probably second. But yeah, I mean, it is a real thing. Now, you know, maybe, unrealistically, maybe these guys would be staying in a room without the doors, because obviously they're just renting, they're single guys renting one room. Right, right. So, you know, maybe that's not believable. But they do exist. Like, it is a thing. See, like I said, Cortland Mead's next door, and... They, they start fucking with them. He's like, who are you? What are you doing? And shit. And they're like, we're, I think Simon says, raping little children or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he says something fucking terrible. Yeah, yeah. it's god awful. So, yeah, Simon and Marcus, that's Taydig's character, they end up going down to the casino area to gamble. Simon loses all of his money in five fucking minutes. So <laughs> Marcus yeah. takes his wallet for an hour, I guess, for punishment purposes. But because of this, Simon decides to pursue the premises and winds up crashing a wedding and going up to a room with two of the bridesmaids to smoke a little weed and other stuff. Um, so, so if you're from over there, then... Then, then where did you meet these friends of yours? <laughs> who, who I don't see. <laughs> the others already knew each other. Marcus and I met at the traffic school. Traffic school? <laughs> Listen, I'm a good driver, I am. I learned oh, everything great. from American television. Oh, great. Hunter, oh, Magnum no. PI. Night Reuters, an excellent program. <laughs> you happen to go with me here. So, um, do you want to be getting high with us? So, 
they're smoking up in this room, him and these two bridesmaids, Simon. And one of the bridesmaids is clogging her nostrils with toilet paper before smoking. She ends up nearly lighting her own face on fire. Next thing you know, there's a massive fire going off. Then Simon's having sex with them. And then the, 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 the fire catches because she goes to hit the bowl and she accidentally lights the tissue that's ridiculous it's just clogged up in her nose and obviously it's you know it's a small bowl you're hitting so naturally she lights a part of the toilet paper that's stuffed up her nostril and she's like waving her hands like blowing like cross-eyed like and he's just like knocking it out putting the fire out and it kind of like falls onto the floor next to the, the window curtain or whatever and he's just like you are the most beautiful woman I've ever seen or something like that. He just drops this random beauty, beautiful line on her and like all of a sudden he's just going at it, going to town on both these women at the same time. And then all of a sudden, just like a act of God, this toilet paper just relights and then just in seconds just to completely destroys this room. It's everything's <laughs> lit up. Like this fire goes at like record time. Like it's it, it it's fast enough to put backdraft to shame, dude. And yeah, it's just a massive thing going off. Simon's starting down the hallway naked. He finds Marcus and he's like, "Yo, we gotta get the fuck out of here." So they bail. Um, only I just one- got a question. Yeah, Is that a it. thing? Is that a thing? Putting uh, tissues in your nose? I've never heard or seen anybody do that before. I've been smoking since I was 16 years old, and I've never once smoked with anyone, nor have I heard of anyone clogging their nostrils in order to hit. I, 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 I'm baffled. I still don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, and also it is kind of funny because like the fire spreads, but. You know, they're in a tiny hotel room, so, like, if a fire was spreading, like, I feel like by the time the bottom of the curtains were on fire, you would feel the heat or smell the smoke. <laughs> but in this scene, they're like, the whole, like, half of the room is on fire before they start realizing it. I'm just like, damn, like, they must have really been going at it to not smell or notice anything until that point, you know? Because there's also, there's also a moment here that kind of, it's like a callback from earlier when they are, when they're all eating at that buffet, um, uh, Tay Diggs is, is telling them about, you know, tantric sex and how, like, he's able to, you know, hold his, you know, orgasm for, like, an hour and a half or something like that. So, there's this scene here, it, it's like a callback, and he's having sex with them, and it, it's, at this point, it's just one of the women, and the other one's just kind of just laying next to him, and it looks like he finishes, and she's like, that's it you're finished and he just goes tantra baby (laughs) it's like like one of the most memorable moments in this movie it's just like so out there i love it and um yeah so back to the this marcus and him um bailing they get outside marcus is mistaken for a valet driver but goes with it so they have wheels he's like here here are the keys. There's an extra 10 if you, if you get it back to me one piece, something like that. Because it's another callback because earlier, like a few minutes prior to this, we see him washing his hands in the bathroom and this guy asks him to pass him a piece of, uh, of uh, t- 
tissue. Whatever. It's a paper towel. Thank you. Why am I thinking of myself? <laughs> Thank you, Ed, for thinking of your own fucking word. But yeah, he um, asks for a paper towel and he gives it to him and the guy leaves him like a dollar or two thinking that he... Because he's wearing this gold overcoat or this jacket, this gold yeah. like blazer. It's a gold blazer. And it makes Pretty him look gaudy. like... Yeah, it yeah. makes him look like he's like an attendant or something like that. So not only once it happens, it happens again. He's mistaken for a valet driver. A guy gives him the keys and Marcus doesn't say a word. He's just like, I was just giving the keys to this fucking blaze ass sports car. Okay. Oh man, we're leaving. Hell yeah. Let's go. Hey. Close, just an extra ten bucks in the point. Get in the car. Get in. Don't even hesitate. They're out of here. They take off, go on their joyride. They're having their Ferris Bueller's Day Off moment. And uh, Simon finds a gun in the glove box and acts like he's dirty fucking hairy. Now, being a New York City native, Tay Diggs did not know how to drive. So he had to get lessons in order for this scene to happen. I get it. You know, New York, a lot of people that live in that city don't drive they don't own a car because it's kind of redundant because it's new york city those of you who have driven in new york city should know it's not it something, sucks it's not something you want to do on a daily basis you know no it sucks i've driven in new york city twice and that's enough for me <laughs> so shout out to all of our new york listeners love your city i hate the traffic uh so they go to their strip joint and on the way inside, Simon's given specific instructions not to order any champagne because that equals a private dance in the most expensive room. Doesn't take this dumb son of a bitch long before he orders the largest bottle of champagne. Before they enter, though, something you got to remember, he gives Todd's credit card to the guy. <laughs> I know. Like, did he think he was going to get away with this? Like, Todd wasn't going to notice or something like that? <laughs> well, it's obvious because he has Todd's credit card. That's why he's just like, disregards Marcus's instructions. And this is like, I want the largest bottle of champagne, please. And it's like, okay, makes sense. He's not even paying. He's got Todd's credit card. Um, The good drug dealer. So, yeah, they use that, remember. And then they're given strict instructions the ladies can touch you but you cannot touch them every strip club has this rule it's the golden rule you can't touch um but yeah Corey, how long do you think it takes simon to break yet another important rule he's been given uh you know he's sitting there enjoying himself i would say they're probably about two minutes into the first song and boom just grabs her ass and <laughs> i just love how it's like a record scratch like yep. <laughs> and then she's like starts yelling at him she's like it hands just- asshole Asshole, 
told you don't touch us. Stupid jerk, can't listen to what shit. What did I tell you? What did I fucking tell you? Hey, hey. The other one. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your faggot friend of you think you can fucking beat my ass, huh? huh? You want a piece of this? And you think you can beat my ass? Ah! Everybody back the fuck away. Is there another way out? Behind you. The door. Marcus. You could tell he didn't do it on purpose. He was just enjoying the moment. And that's just his instinct is to grab. And it was, yeah, it's just so funny right here. Yeah. So in the moment, Simon uses that gun that he got from the glove box and he fires off around, doesn't notice, but it hits the bouncer guy. And Simon tries tossing the gun but goes back to retrieve it since it has his prints all all over it throwing the fiasco the alarm on the car goes off it goes ape shit so they've got to ditch the ride and they're on their feet they got to get out of here meanwhile we see the bouncer his father comes into play victor senior we find out that these guys are both named victor victor senior is played by the late j.e freeman um great character actor who is in a bunch of stuff around this time he was in alien resurrection he has the most gnarliest death scene in that franchise in my opinion so yeah he's uh stitching his son up and he's using todd's credit card to you know track him down so he's tracked that he tracks him to the hotel that they're staying at Tiny doesn't do any favors by answering the phone and saying, oh yeah, we're in room so-and-so. Without even asking questions, he just tells whoever answers or calls where they are, gives them all the information that they need, and then this is when we get the sequence involving the shared door. Cortland Mead has asked, they, they, they are all trying to rush to get out because uh, the victors are on the other side of the door trying to come in playing it off like they're ordering room service or whatever and Cortland Mead asks for $100 and they slip him a bunch of random bills that you know it, it equals 100 but we see you know this kid's gotta take his sweet ass time to count the money make sure it's all <laughs> nice and neat and eventually opens it and they fucking bounce so the four escape down the stairs and into the parking garage to Singh's car Simon's driving he ends up escaping out of the exit side while being chased by the victors. The they end up driving down this narrow alley and it ends up crashing sideways, making it easy for Victor Sr. to T-bone the shit out of them from a distance, which is what it happens until he pushes them out into the street and Simon is able to drive away while Victor's truck in the background just randomly flips over. <laughs> Movie's gonna movie, I guess. Yeah, uh, it is kind of random. I, I was curious about that. I was like, maybe I missed something. Why is there a truck flip over? Yeah, he just, he kind of like hits something, but still, he's not going fast enough. 
Anyway, he flips. And the four end up getting back to L.A. at sunrise while Victor Sr. makes a phone call and gets Todd Gaines' address information. So we're on to story number three now. We're back at Suns for another attempt at Rona to cover Simon Shift. Um, yeah, only this time we see JMR and Scott Wolf acting dramatically on a television before the film tells us the name of the third and final story, which is Adam and Zach. So Doug, Doug Lyman originally didn't want Scott Wolf in this movie. He wanted um, Katie Holmes had already signed on and he's like that's enough TV stars for my movie I can't have two but uh, he saw him talking in the hallway with Jay Moore and realized that the chemistry between the two was just too damn good to be passed up and that's why he ended up casting Scott Wolf in the end so we see his uh, character Scott Wolf uh, his name is Adam and he's being bugged in this restroom by William Fickner looking on complimenting him on his body um he's he's something else in this movie Fickner did you notice the guy bugging him like the the the, the, the tech nerd savvy guy who he is nah he looks familiar but I can't put my finger on it he's but one, yeah I, I definitely seen him in something else he's one of the two dorks from can't hardly wait that uh oh yeah that sit on the roof all sit night sit on the roof yeah. of the shed yeah he's one that's of those that's funny yeah I noticed that right away. So, uh, Fickner is just fucking around with these guys at every moment he can. He gets, uh, Zach, which is, uh, Jay Moore. He gets Zach to tell him about a girlfriend who's unfaithful to him after finding a different pair of socks in his, his dresser or his drawer. Something that Adam keeps pushing, even while they're inside, buying up all the juice. We see that they've been following Rona all night. We get back to the meetup just in time for Rona to walk in. This time, when she asks for the bathroom, we see Zach whisper for her to go. Hence the flushing and her ridiculing Fickner for letting her drink underage. So yeah, after- the first time, the first time I was watching this, I was like, "How did she know it was a setup so quickly?" But then, obviously, uh, you know, you to know. the movie's credit, you fill in the blanks here, so it's pretty good. It all makes sense, right? So after the unsuccessful bust. Burke and Burke is uh William Victor's name by the way his character. Burke invites Adam and Zach to Christmas dinner at his place, and um, he says, you know, you know my life, my wife's there. You're gonna love it. And he's like, you know, we'll have some dinner, we'll have a good time, and then I'll sign your papers. So <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. I I love the setup here. So you know, oh, I think great. everybody is watching this is thinking one thing's gonna happen, which obviously we'll get into soon of what actually happens. But uh, Fickner plays this role perfectly of just like this. I don't want to say sleazy, but like he's, you know, this older cop and, you know, you get this homosexual vibe off of him and you just get this swinger vibe and he just plays it so well. And it's building and it starts here, really. Well, it begins a little bit further, but then it really starts here. And then, you know, as we'll get into it, I just love the swerve coming up. Exactly. It's like both of those vibes, him being gay, obviously, and the fact that, you know, swinger, that attitude comes to mind. Neither of those. It's fucking awesome. I, I love the reveal that we're going to, like you said, the the swerve coming up. It's great. So, yeah, um, they go to the house, you know, because obviously they want to have their dinner so they can sign the papers. So they observe strange behavior from Burke and his wife, Irene, who's played by Jane Krakowski 
from 30 Rock. She was the cousin Becky in the original Vacation, amongst other things, numerous things, many things. Oh, she was also one Ally McBeal. But um, Breakable Kimmy Schmidt, I think, mm-hmm. was more recently. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, the Burke and his wife, just things like Burke's wife being overly nice and coming on to Adam, while Burke himself is prancing around naked in the bedroom with uh, Zach in there, showing off his cologne and bedliner, shit like that. Oh, uh, sorry. No, 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 stay for a sec. Here, smell this. What does that smell like? CK1, right? Right? But it's not. Really? Yeah, I get this stuff for half what that stuff costs. It's nice. It's very nice. Hey, try. It's down. So is the liner. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's really soft. Get on. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I, I gotta go help with dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that? It was. Exactly. Individually wrapped springs. Top quality. Hey. I could do aerobics over here and you wouldn't feel it. I bet I wouldn't. So, Zach, would you say you're open to new things? And yeah, just a little note here that Jay Moore originally wanted to be Todd Gaines, the drug dealer, but that the, the Yeah, I can't see that. Yeah, it just that's just no. That's a big fat no for me. So during the dinner scene, everything's revealed. Their ulterior motive for having them there is so they can get them to join their pyramid scheme. It's confederated products like Amway or Avon. Oh, and afterward, Adam and Zach both come to the realization that they both cheated on each other with the same guy, guy named Jimmy. So they- <laughs> yeah, I, I love that in the car because you don't know at first that they're a couple. You know, they're just talking <laughs> and they're talking about how they got cheated on. I just love they come to the realization it's the same guy as they're in the car talking, uh, you know, through code pretty much. Uh, I like that. It's a nice touch. Well, let's back it up, dude, because it's this, this whole scheme. That's the reveal. It's not him coming on to them sexually. It's not them both trying to make, you know, a move together as a couple swingers, whatever. No, they want them to join their fucking pyramid scheme. Well, Irene and I sort of had an ulterior motive for inviting you here tonight. He makes it sound sinister. It's not. No, I don't. <laughs> She's right. Okay. Okay. You've looked around our place. Where do you think we got most of this stuff? Just guess. Come on. Sears? J.C. Penney? It's actually from Confederated Products. Almost everything in this house is from Confederated Products. From the toilet paper, to the, to, to the candles, to the ham. The, the wine. The wine, the wine. It, even that cologne you liked. You see, Confederated Products is a multi-level direct wholesaling company, which means we don't just sell the products ourselves. No, sir, you read Bob. We recruit and manage teams that work under us. Now, Irene and I started eight months ago, and already we're pulling in 50000 a year in revenues. We're the number four distributor in Southern California. You got that one, babe. And by March, we might be number three. 
Now, as law enforcement officers, Irene and I, we cannot recruit distributors from inside the force. It's against the rules. So what we do is we look for people in other industries. Like the entertainment industry. Uh, wait, wait. You want us to sell Amway? It's confederated products. It, it, it's a, it's a different company. It's a different quality of product. Because that's exactly what this bullshit is. I know, like, my aunt back in the 90s was fucking selling Avon and stuff like that. Couldn't stand it. Hated it. Hated it with a fucking passion. But the, this this gag here, it is a 1999 timestamp and a half, dude. It's <laughs> great. It is so fucking clever. I love this reveal. It's one of my top favorites of any, any movie. Because, you know, you think, like you said, it's one thing. No, it's none of those things. They want them to just simply go along with their scheme. Confederated yeah. products. Get the it, fuck out of here. And it makes sense after it's revealed because, like, he keeps talking about, like, oh, you like the cologne? Got it for this much. You like the bed? Got it for this much. Right. And, you know, at first you think uh, Fickner's character is just like the type who likes to brag because some people are like that. Like they like to right, brag exactly. about their stuff and how much they paid or how good of a deal it was. Um, but yeah, it's just it makes sense afterwards. It's just hilarious. And, you know, it just it makes it even more puzzling, though, like with the um, Fickner's wife. <laughs> it's just like she just kisses uh, Scott Wolf and it's just like kind of random, but you know, whatever. You know, yeah, <laughs> I guess the way she, she kind of liked them. Exactly the way she comes when Adam out of the blue in the kitchen. Um, yeah, because he he's um calling to check his messages. Man, so <laughs> so many fucking just '90s references that just takes me back. I know. Um, I feel like anybody, uh, you know, that isn't our age is gonna watch would watch this and be like, what the hell is he doing? Checking his messages <laughs> on that old phone? Like, what is that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, you could do that back in the, back when people had landlines and answer machines, you could call your own home and check your answer machine for messages while you're away. You could, you could always do shit like that. And people did. My mom used to do it all the time. It was always like, why don't you just wait till we get home and check it? You can do it on the road. Um, oh, and I got to also mention um, William Fickner's reaction when he, they, he when they first tell them about the scheme and you know, whatever. I think it's job at us. Adam Scott Wolf. He's like Amway. He's like, like Avon. You want us to sell a Avon? And he's like, it's confederated products it's a different it's just this i forgot what he says word for word but like his reaction it's like one of my favorite things about this movie it's just spot on william fickner is just perfect gotta love that guy um yeah so they go to the house looking for this guy jimmy only they find a ridiculously young melissa mccarthy shows up at the door long enough to tell them how close they were to showing up on each other one time and to point them in the direction of the big Christmas rave going on, which is where Jimmy went to. And yeah, man, I always forget that she's in this movie. And yeah. not only is she in this, this is her first movie. 
Yeah, I, I forget too. Like, you know, even watching it now, uh, you know, when I first saw her, I was like, oh, who's that actress? Because it just took me a second because Melissa McCarthy, I mean, she didn't really break onto the scene for another 10 years, really. I mean, you know, this movie came out in 99. I mean, I feel like her big breakout roles wasn't until the late aughts, early 10s. It was 30 Rock. Whenever you 30 know? Rock got big, her, yeah, Tina, was- Tina Fey, and uh, uh, Alec Baldwin were like unstoppable. They were on top of the world. Yeah, I mean, that, like I said, the late aughts, early uh, tense, like really, like, like that's when she yeah. broke on. So it was just weird seeing her here. Uh, you know, you just kind of forget sometimes the actors take these small roles in the beginning because <laughs> now obviously she's such a big uh, star. But yeah, it, it's funny because obviously she looks the same. She's a lot younger and, uh, you know, more svelte. But yeah, it was just cool seeing her. She definitely, uh, stood out to me like i think i feel like if you showed this to anybody they'd be like who is that at first like that would take them a second because she's she's so (laughs) young and just slightly different looking than kind of what we know her as today before she got really famous yep so at the rave they confront jimmy and they they cut off his hair and laugh and share a laugh about it and that's 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 their big revenge like that's what they do to get back at him they just cut off his hair maybe that's a thing in the gay community i don't maybe, know maybe <laughs> i mean they, they just they cut off his ponytail they laugh they toss it whatever whatever and then they go to leave they back up and this is when it's revealed that they're the ones who hit rona and it forces them to scream very flamboyantly and they dip the fuck out Zach tries to reassure Adam at they stop they, they they stop at a gas station afterwards. He tries to assure them that Rona survived. Um or no, if she had survived, Todd was gonna shoot her because they saw Todd, you know, with the gun afterwards, after the fact. So then while taking a piss, Adam realizes to his horror that he is still wearing a wire. <laughs> So he freaks out thinking that they're being recorded. They go back to where they hit Rona and they find her body in the ditch, but she's not dead. She's just unconscious. So instead of killing her, which is Zach's initial plan, they prop her up. Pretty fucking dark. It is. It gets (laughs) dark. And it's not even dark dark for that long. So they prop her up on a car set off the alarm and watch from a distance as all the partygoers call an ambulance to come outside and they you know they, they make sure that she's attended to so in the scene where Adam is trying to make room in the trunk there's this brief shot of a box of Tide and what's pasted all over it the fucking confederated products label I guess that means <laughs> that Burke and his wife got them question mark I don't know um so yeah, as morning breaks, Claire goes to a restaurant to meet up with Rona and Manny, but encounters Todd there instead. The two end up having breakfast while talking about Todd's disdain and fascination with Family Circus and Claire's love for Christmas surprises. See, I knew you weren't all evil. So what do you have against the Family Circus? Okay. You sit down and read your paper, and you're enjoying your entire two-page comic spread, right? And then there's the family fucking circus, bottom right-hand corner, just waiting to suck. And that's the last thing you read, so 
It spoils everything you read before. You could just not read it. I hate it, yet I'm uncontrollably drawn to it. Are you gonna... You know what I like about you? And it's not your face. You're only medium cute. But I think it's... I don't know, you're the first non-fake person I've met here. It's kind of nice. Professional curiosity, what are you on? I'm serious. So am I. What are you on? <laughs> Ginseng and Dexatrim. You know what I like best about Christmas? The surprises. I mean, it's like you get this box, and you're sure you know what's inside of it. You know, you shake it, you wait, you're totally convinced you have it pegged. No doubt in your mind. But then you open it up, and it's completely different. You know, wow, bang, surprise. I mean, it's, it's kind of like you and me here, you know? I'm not saying it's anything it's not. It's just... Come on, this time yesterday, who would have thunk it? Bringing us back to the beginning of the film, folks. Um, you know, it, she just kind of he. I don't. I. I, I don't want to say uses his charm or whatever. He did that. He just went there to enjoy a breakfast by himself after he intended to kill her best friend. He just said, "Fuck it, I'm gonna have some flapjacks and and call it a morning." And she shows up and starts talking to him. They two. They two. The two, like, hit it off. And, uh, they go back to Todd's place and start making out on the stairs. But not for long, because they're confronted by the victors. Simon <laughs> arrives, having hoped to hide out for a few days at the, at the apartment. And there's this scuffle that ensues that's all of a sudden you hear Claire just scream for everyone to stop it and uh yeah she refuses to witness a murder so she dips out uh well and I like how she's like calling him out here she's like what are you gonna do shoot him and then kill all of us like you know cause it is like a half cocked plan like it oh, is yeah. funny like the victor's like what is their real plan here and then I you know I, yeah I love the fact that um you know, he's Simon's going back to lay low. And it's like the guy's <laughs> credit card he stole. Like, what a dumbass. Like, why would you go to the address with the not credit card thinking, you were using? Not thinking. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. One interesting thing, though, about this entire movie, sex. It's a bad omen throughout this entire movie. We have Rona and Todd talking about sex as a metaphor for betrayal in all their scenes. It's like, you know, she makes she has that quote. I I don't give my best friend's head. Uh, Simon has sex with the two bridesmaids in the hotel room before he catches fire. Zach and Adam talk about how they both cheated on one another with Jimmy, and then they get the revenge on him before hitting Rona accidentally. Todd and Claire on the stairs. They're getting hot and heavy. What happens? The victors show up. Um. But yeah, it's just throughout the movie. It's something that I noticed that also I, I read about. It makes perfect sense. Um, Simon fucking literally gives 
the victor's justice by agreeing. He <laughs> he circles where he wants to be shot on the arm. He's like, here's a yeah. good spot, and like pretty chipper about it too. I like, know. I'm surprised. He's, he's like, he's like, all right, go ahead. He's I don't like, mind. <laughs> here you go. Here's the fleshiest part of the arm. So he circles it, and Todd is or not Todd, Victor, Junior. He, he puts the chamber like right down square on his arm. I'm like. I don't know, man. He still doesn't do it. He's like, I can't do it. He's like, what do you mean you don't do it? Like, If your mother would would be here to see this. It's a funny moment, though, because Clara's like, fuck this. I'm not not watching this shit. So she goes, leaves in disgust. And after she leaves, as soon as she leaves the apartment and walks out, we hear the gunshot go off. And then for a second, we hear nothing. And then, it's all right. I'm okay. (laughs) Fucking Simon. It's pretty funny. I mean, it's just like you can tell all these guys are kind of out of their element here. Like none of these guys are murderers or cold hard guys. Like they're all halfway decent guys somewhat. And, you know, I I wouldn't call them decent, but I know what you mean. But they they have some morals, (laughs) you know, they're not completely moralist, you know, and they're just in over their head and had a bad night. And now dealing with the repercussions the best way they can as basically buffoons <laughs> essentially i love the whole scene yeah because it is true like it would be weird like if someone shot me yeah i'd be mad at first and if given the opportunity i would probably shoot them back right there but it would be weird than like the following day to find them and then hold a gun up to their <laughs> arm like you know it's just something that you do in the heat of the moment it's just different when you're doing it you know like pre-planned like this <laughs> it is a little weird it's like not sporting you know right Anyway, Rona wakes up in the hospital, and then we see her hobbling to the supermarket to start her shift, realizing she left Manny at the rave. Her and Claire go back to the venue, and they find Manny pale, shaking, still alive. Shockingly, still alive. Uh, Yeah, the three go back to her car, where Rona muses that she can now pay her rent, and Manny asks what their plans are for New Year's. And we hear no doubts new. Close out the film. Quick question though, before we uh, get to the categories, because that's the end of the movie. Um, we we see this really awesome shot that pans back that shows you like a big view of the parking lot the next morning from this rave. Who the fuck is flying an airplane to the rave and parking it in the parking lot with the rest of the cars? You see a bunch of random cars that were left there from the night before, and then fucking front and center is a goddamn plane just chilling in the parking lot. Like, someone flew this rave. I love it. That's legendary. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's if they had a sequel uh, go to, that would be part of the story. <laughs> yeah. How the plane got there. A prequel. Story of the aeroplane and the Christmas rave. But yeah, gang, that is 1999's Go. From John August and Doug Lyman, let's get to the categories, starting with box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out, we put more in. I want receipts. So the film premiered on April 7th, 1999 at the Dome Entertainment Center in Los Angeles, California before being released to the public on April 9th, 1999 from Columbia Pictures. It had a theater count of 1,563 
Opening weekend, it opened up to number six with 4.7 million. Second week, it dropped 35.9% down the seventh place with $3 million. Total gross, $28.5 million against a $20 million budget. So once again, we're dealing with a movie that didn't earn its full financial funds back after marketing and promotions, but there's no doubt in my mind that it quietly made a little bit of coin from Columbia after home video sales, rentals. It was a big hit on DVD. The Blu-ray, uh, it was, it, it came and went. It's been out of print for many, many years. I own it on Blu-ray myself. I found it at a FYE about a year ago for like t- six, seven dollars. Even though it goes now for a lot of money on eBay, still it's one of my golden finds. But um, yeah, the, the film, no doubt, over time made money. Um, now I don't, I can't really, no one really can unless you're. Columbia can actually process or, you know, tell us how much it made exactly, but doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. The fact that it matter is, you know, um, my rule of thumb is always double your budget, and that's how you come up with your, you know, promotions and marketing and all that stuff, all the hidden costs that it takes to make a movie. So that $20 million budget is essentially $40 million. And even though it was only 28.5 coming out of the theater, like I said, you had DVD, VHS, Blu-ray sales over time. Big hit, big cult following, especially over time. The film kind of grew legs as it went on over the years. And um, yeah, yeah there's, there's no doubt in my mind that it made at least 10, 12, 15, probably even more than that um, in said sales to, um, you know, make it so it's not so it made money so anyway so that's what uh that's that let's move on now to the critics corner and see what they had to say about the movie Alright, so the film has a Rotten Tomato score of 91% based off of 74 reviews with a critical consensus that says with its sharp dialogue and Roush's visuals, Go entertains at an exhilarating pace. It's got a meta score of 72 out of 100 based on 29 reviews and it's pretty high praise from Ebes. He gave it three stars. He said, Go is an entertaining, clever black comedy that takes place entirely in Tarantino land. Go has energy and wit, and the performances are right for the material, especially Sarah Polly, who thinks fast and survives harrowing, harrowing experiences, and Fichtner, the cop who is so remarkably open to new experiences. Janet Maslin from New York Times praised the performances of Oliphant and Fickner as well as Go's energy in Lyman's direction. She said artfully executed druggy flights of fancy include a hallucinatory macarena in a supermarket, a mind-reading black cat, and a smart visual approximation of how it feels to be on the verge of throwing up. Here and elsewhere, Mr. Lyman manipulates speed, light, editing, and point of view vigorously and keeps the radio humming. He creates a film that lives up to the momentum of its title and doesn't really need much more. Joe Valdez from the Distracted Globe wrote, 
Few titles have the finesse to sum up a movie as brilliantly as Go, a drug-fueled roller coaster ride that alternates between black, dark comedy and light suspense with terrific verve. The film's appeal lies in its modest scale and the fact that it is made mostly by starving artist types. Nearly everyone involved in the production was a relative no, unknown was a relative unknown or newcomer with no pressure to supply entertainment to the masses. The writer produced the writer director and most of the actors delivered the best work of their careers. James Berardinelli from Real Views gave it a two and a half out of four. Go is the latest piece of high octane eye candy aimed squarely at members of the infamous Generation X. Fast paced and off often witty, but ultimately vapid. Uh, Go borrows heavily both on the rhythm and approach from Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, and since the 1994 crime movie invested most of its originality into the way it put the pieces together, Go, by following a similar path, cannot claim to be breaking new ground. And finally, Joe Reed from The Atlantic revisited Go on the 15th anniversary and noted that at the time it came out, it was seen as a knockoff of other 90s films. The split narrative style, complete with characters, title cards, separating the film into thirds, put Go at the top of the list when it came out in the late 90s, Tarantino-influenced cinema. But then there was director Doug Liman, red hot off of the cult success of Swingers, trading neo-swing culture for X and raves. Both films would give a healthy chunk of attention to Vegas, though. The thing about Go that sets it apart, however, is that it's completely fantastic energetic and quotable and stylish and neither overly enamored enamored or nor overly dismissive of the culture it's um, inhibiting now we never talked about this throughout this episode yet this is the first we're gonna make we're gonna bring it up doug lyman the director of course this was his I mean, it wasn't his second movie, it was technically his third, but his second big film coming off of his success a few years earlier in Swingers. Have you ever seen Swingers? Yeah, man, that movie's money. That movie is. Oh, that's that's <laughs> I'm, I'm great. I'm, I'm glad you meant you said that. Um, and I, I think that this was a great follow-up movie. I think he was just on a high and even to this day Doug Liman is one of the most respected directors still Hell at yeah. it he did one of my favorite sci-fi movies in the past decade uh, Live Die Repeat Edge of Tomorrow I mean I know it's completely different uh, than Swingers and Go but I fucking love that movie me too like, me I, too movie's great can't wait to cover it I, yeah I mean Tom Cruise and Mech Suit meets Groundhog's Day I love that shit so I mean mm-hmm. yeah Doug Liman definitely talented I mean, who knew? Like, it's just so funny. Like, I I respect directors that go from one genre to another. You know, like, it, it that can't be easy. It can't be easy to direct a movie at all, but just to go from, like, these little comedy slice of life, uh, you know, party movies to a fucking huge sci-fi epic with Tom Cruise. Like, come on, that's a big jump. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Let's move on now to what we thought of the film in the form of pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing. Positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. Start with the pros. Uh, for me, it packs a pretty big punch. 
film contains a lot, and when I mean a lot, of entertaining material. Um, strong cast. This film has a very strong young cast with uh, well-written and realistic dialogue from the late 90s. It just works. Uh, it's an adrenaline-filled film with the soundtrack, of course, being just as filled with just just rambunctious beats and it's got a lot going for it the, the soundtrack really complements the movie and the last one is the comedy itself the comedy holds up for me it, 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 it was funny to me in 99 it's still funny to me in 2022 uh it, it like i said at the top of the hour i love this movie those are my pros what are yours Mine are pretty similar to yours. Uh, I think number one for me is the cast. The cast and performances are just so strong. It would be easy to take this movie and just have a bad cast, bad performances, and it would just fall completely in the toilet. Uh, But, I mean, everybody's just great. I mean, obviously, uh, Sarah Paula is the lead, and she's super strong, but all the supporting roles. Like, I love Jay Moore. I wish wish we saw more of Jay Moore. I I love him and Scott Wolf in this uh, film. I love their uh, relationship and their uh, banter the whole time. Um, You know, I, yeah, I I just wish there was more Jay Moore. Now he's like married to, uh, what's her name? Jeannie, Jeannie Buss. (laughs) So now I guess he's super rich with the Laker money, but uh, you know, I wish he still did stuff. Um, But yeah, the cast is just, all awesome. Fickner, one of my favorite character actors. He's great in this. He is spot on. He exudes exactly uh, what he should in this film. Fickner's awesome. It, yeah, it's just great. Like, all the characters top to bottom are great, and it definitely makes this movie. Uh, my next one is the soundtrack. I mean, the music is just awesome. It's just such a throwback listening uh, or watching the film and listening to the music. Um, it almost, I, I didn't fire it up, but it almost made me want to go back and fire up the soundtrack. Uh, just as I do a lot of times when I rewatch movies from the late nineties, early two thousands, I'm like, I remember that song. I remember liking that song. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the soundtrack is definitely spot on. And, um, my last pro is just the, um, directing and structure. I, I, you know, I know this is one of the top ones that's a listed copy for Pulp Fiction, but I think it takes that type of structure and uses it in a good way, mm-hmm. just like Pulp Fiction did. You know, we're yep. not telling a pulpy crime story that's filling in the blanks. We're telling a, you know, more lighthearted, uh, you know, party night uh, right before Christmas. So and I it does a good job of filling in just the different details throughout. And it does a good job of, uh, you know, uh, splitting it up and showing the different characters. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think it does it just right like i think it uses it to its advantage i mean you know thinking about like pulp fiction ripoffs it's like love in a 45 i do not like that movie i remember watching that because somebody told me it was like pulp fiction right that movie sucks in my opinion that that's an example of a movie that takes that type of structure and just fucks it up you know it's just not good (laughs) so if you want an example of that love in a 45 not a fan there's a renee right yeah, yeah. I've never seen it. I've, I've heard about it, though. I've never seen it myself. Yeah, that that's an example of... I mean, it's not like a god-awful movie, but it's an example of a movie that might have benefited from not trying to rip off Pulp Fiction because I really don't think they did it that well. Uh, but this movie is... I like the structure. I like the directing. I just like the atmosphere. I mean, even though I'm sitting at home on my couch, I feel like I'm out partying with these characters. And I feel like I'm back in my 20s watching yes. it. So that's, that's a yes. huge compliment to the film. Uh, not every film is like that. 
Um, and I get that feeling with other movies. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a good testament to that. So, yeah, that's my main pros. All right, now on to the cons. I've got two. Breckenmeyer and James Duvall, their characters, they just don't work for me after all these years. Sitting here the other night watching this again for the episode, I'm just kind of cringing, kind of like, ah. And I'm a big fan of both those actors. Like, James Duvall is an underrated character actor from around this time, while Breckenmeyer is, you know, Breckenmeyer. Uh, it's just, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't, maybe, maybe the word is underutilized that I'm thinking of, but I don't know. Maybe the same can't really be said for, I mean, I guess a different word can be said for James Duvall. Uh, but in the end though, without just keeping this going, they just don't work for me after all these years. They just don't hold up very well. And the other one is Tay Diggs just suddenly disappears from the third act. He just kind of dips out of this movie and that's it you know there's not really a proper farewell or goodbye it's just now you see him now you don't and it's like what happened to marcus you we don't see him at all or hear from him for the rest of the film after his last scene and it's kind of like it's kind of abrupt not gonna lie so you know those those, those two really are are it other than that like i just have so much good to say about the movie that it's kind of hard to say too much bad you know But those are my cons. Yeah, I mean, I have two minor ones. Um, One, uh, you mentioned it before, but I was just shrugging my head. uh, The fact that Manny survived, uh, you know, doing the double hits of the X. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Like you said, he would be totally gone. I, you know, I know why they did it. You know, they're not going for a serious or dark movie. Uh, you know, they're going for a lighthearted movie. So I understand, but, you know, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit because, you know, literally we were told, like, what was going to happen, and it didn't happen. So it just, you know, made me groan a little bit. And uh, my other con is just, you know, some of the uh, words and just some of the slang it used is dated. You know, it's like that with a lot of movies. Uh, you know, oh, it yeah. doesn't come across super well. You mentioned it, like the Breckenmeyer scene in the car you know, this movie isn't too bad in the grand scheme of things. There's other movies where I just literally have to look away from the screen because I'm like, dear God, what are they saying right now? Like, <laughs> I can't believe this used to be normal. Uh, this movie's not that bad, but it's just something to bring up. It's just the way things were back then. You know, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't, you know, I'm not using excuses, but just the way it is. It is what it is. You know, I'm not a fan of going back and changing things. So just be aware of that going into it. You're going to hear some mildly offensive things that you won't hear in today's culture. So that, but that's it for my cons. Nothing major. This movie knows what it is and does it extremely well. So there's really not a lot of glaring flaws. All right. Modern cancellations. Someone just got canceled. Someone just got canceled. Someone just got canceled. I wonder what they did. Who gets canceled by today's cancel culture? Well, I'm going to ask the audience to take one big fat fucking guess what my answer is going to be. I pretty much just revealed it with my pros and cons. Uh, Brocken Meyer and James Duvall. It's uh, Tiny and Sing. They would be canceled in a fucking Hollywood minute. It would not take long. Um, especially the shit that comes out of Tiny's mouth in the movie. Like you said, it's not, you know, 
It's not like he's dropping N-bombs left and right and shit, but it's enough. It's enough to warrant a cancellation flag, so that's, those are the, there's two, either way, either or, you know, they're, they're just as guilty as the other, so in my world, those two would be canceled. Yeah, uh, this might surprise you, but I feel like uh, Modern Cancellations, Rona would get canceled pretty hard. Uh, nowadays, selling bad drugs at a party uh, would be an issue because there's social media. I feel like she would get tracked down and canceled as like the drug dealer selling baby Tylenol. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like, uh, you know, nowadays that's even more dangerous. Back then in the 90s, you know, there's more anonymity. Yeah. Uh, but today, I don't know. I feel like it would come back around to you in your social circle. You're like, yeah, she's a girl selling bad drugs around. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I feel like she would get canceled within the uh, rave culture of the 20 year olds then. You bring up a valid point. I cannot argue that one. All right. Let's move on. Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? So, uh, hear me out. We get three stories in this movie. Three stories. That's fine. If you let me change one thing about this movie, I would add a fourth story with... Claire and Todd getting their own rather than sharing a couple scenes during Adam and Zach's segment. Like, I mean, two characters who honestly have nothing to do with Claire and Todd. But, you know, the, the, the runtime would allow this to be, you know, it, it would be feasible while still clocking in just under two hours. But Claire and Todd, I just... It's just after everything that happens the next day, like just to see what would happen, like take me out of the moment. You know, I know we get them making out on the staircase and then, you know, Victor and his son show up and shit. And it's like, but you can make a story out of this. You can easily make a fourth segment. Let Todd have a segment. You know, I know Claire is pretty much, you know, a, a, a key supporting role for, the, the majority of the of the movie and two of the three stories rather but I just don't think there's anything wrong with giving him and her their own story um, to tell that, that that goes in that, that still fits in with the big story the big picture um, but yeah and I actually thought about this one for a little bit and I thought that yeah it would be really cool to add a fourth story with Todd and Claire and uh Unfortunately, that's not the way this goes, but in a perfect world, you know, we'd be seeing a fourth story in true pop fiction style, rather. But yeah, that that's my Mulligan moment. How about you? Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Um, mine is actually one you touched on before. That's uh, kind of the ending, like Tay Diggs, like you said. I kind of liked his character Yeah. in the film. You know, I, I liked him as, like, the straight man, the guy who was kind of, uh, you know, the smart one out of the group, the one with his head on his shoulders, and then, yeah, mm -hmm. he just disappears. Like, they're just driving home, and then, boom, he's gone, you know? Uh, you know, I don't necessarily care about the other two characters in the story, you <laughs> know, but I do like Tay Diggs. Like, I, you know, I, I liked him in the film, and I kind of wish, yeah, he had a little bit more screen time and a better ending other than just being gone he disappears he, uh, he literally disappears from the movie and that's it 
I mean, I know he's a secondary character because he's really, you know, he's only in the uh, middle section of the movie, really. But, uh, I, you know, I wish he, I wish they would have just went a little bit further and just showed, you know, kind of where he was ending up. That's all. That would be mine. Yeah, he's a secondary character who's like, I don't know, he's not top billing, but he's one of the most bankable stars at the time in this movie. Oh yeah, definitely. Like yeah. Tay, Tay, I mean, he, Tay Diggs he's was He's definitely big. the biggest star in the movie, I would say. At least then. Then. At that point. I mean, because he was coming off of a huge, like, not, like, beginning of his career. Like, you know, How Still I Got a Groove Back, Brown Sugar, um, The Best Man, uh, Go. I mean, I mean, The Wood was another one. Uh, House on Haunted Hill, The Way of the Gun. He was doing a lot of movies around this time, you know. He's in my like, you know, he's not top billing, but he, I argue he's the biggest star of this movie. And for him to just kind of quietly dip out the way he does, like, it ain't right. <laughs> it ain't right. God damn it. So, all right. Well, now you heard about what we would change. Now let's hear about our favorite moments of the movie. Finger looking good. Finger licking good. Oh, duh. Manny and Todd's cat. That scene alone is just. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. It's it's great. It's it's a real quick moment. Um, but it's always been a, a moment that I, I remember. I used to always talk about this film with Venker growing up, and this was no doubt the one scene we would always go to is like the cat we would always tell each other I'm going to kill you you were going to die that's what he says to him because he's there to kind of like talk about uh, Xerxes from the dead celebrities game they were playing uh, earlier and then he says I forgot what answer he gives him but then he just says you're going to die and it's like oh shit things got just got grim and it just it's a random fucking black cat just talking to him in subtitles. It's its great. It's, it's I want more of it. So that's my, that's my favorite moment of the movie, honestly. It always has been, always will be. For me, it was kind of a tough one because I do appreciate a lot of scenes in the movie. Uh, but thinking about it, uh, my favorite scene <laughs> is when uh, Zach and Adam, Jay Moore and Scott Wolf go back to William Fickner's uh house <laughs> that whole scene i love it confederate Just, products or whatever it's called yeah uh everybody's killing it like william fickner's killing it with like the swinger by vibes that he's given off um you know jay moore and uh scott wolf played off very well being uncomfortable like <laughs> these young guys these young especially uh, jay moore he's great in this moment yeah, yeah, they're both great, but yeah, especially him. Uh, and then Jane Krakowski just sweeping in there for a brief scene or two. <laughs> um, just everybody's on point. I love the setup. And yeah, it's, I did not see that coming. I did not see Confederated products happening there. So, uh, you know, you think it's going one way and it just hooks you right to another. So I, that whole scene just really works for me. I think everybody's just on their A game. But it's hilarious. You know, I, I will say the opening is a strong one too, and I like the Vegas stuff. So, it, it, you know, it, it was really tough for me. But yeah, Fickner being one of my favorite character actors, I had to give it up for that. And I, like I said, I love Jay Moore. I wish he was in more. Now I, I kind of want to watch Jerry Maguire now, just because he's hell in that. yeah. <laughs> like I know he's not a huge role in that, but 
I, I just want to see more Jay Moore now. Another movie that he's in that's kind of underrated is a horror film called uh, Cherry Falls. Came out. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they actually Murphy. came out on the same time as this. It was a uh, USA film. USA. It well, was, that was delayed, right? That, it was like, a movie. That was, Cherry Falls was delayed. Cherry Falls was supposed to come out in the theaters, but then not. Um, but then um, Columbine happened, and it got shelved for about a year until the the rights got sold to uh, USA Network. And they bought it because at the time that they... Because it, it premiered on Halloween night of 2000, if my memory serves correctly. And at that time, you know, we were still in the, the middle of our... Or we might have been towards the tail end of the the big Hollywood slasher whodunit resurgence. And this was just something that got... The USA Network was like, yeah, we'll... we'll We'll just we'll buy this film and we'll show it on our station and it'll be something fresh for for viewers, uh, albeit edited because we are a cable network. But still, um, it's I still I like Cherry Falls. I own the Screen Factory disc of that movie and rest in peace, Brittany Murphy. Uh, there's a lot of people in that movie too. It's that's it's, it's kind of an underrated slasher movie in my opinion so yeah all right well let's go to our recommendations for movies that are like this in a category we call like this try that here's where i wrote verbatim pop fiction for the format Run Lolo Run for the feel. Fear Loathing the Las Vegas for the experience. That's my answer. I mean, mine might seem like an obvious one, but uh, Swingers. Like, these two are just, like, linked to me. It's a good uh, answer. Obviously, because of the director tie. But they also give that similar feel. I just, you know, Swingers obviously a little bit different. Uh, you know, about the slightly older guys, you know, thinking they're hot shit. And, eh, they're really not. <laughs> but uh, being likable guys, you know, so. Right. Uh, but they just have that similar feel of like a night out on the town, out partying with friends, getting into some trouble. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're both linked to me just mainly because of the director, but also because of the feel. Like, I feel like even if they were directed by two different uh, people, coincidentally, I would still kind of link them together because it's just those type of movies for me. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh so you know if you're looking for that type of double feature where you're stuck at home but you want to feel like you're partying out on the town you know i don't think you could go wrong with going swingers all right it's time to dish out our mvps of the film all right now you might think i'm a little biased but i take my job as a presenter very seriously i will show no favoritism i am here to honor excellence and the most valuable player is for me it's sarah polly She's a national treasure in this movie. She turns a boring character into something interesting and so much more by the third act. She's a character whose change is witnessed on full display and can be distinguished by the time we hear No Doubt playing and the end credits flashing. I've always loved her portrayal as Rona and the way she delivers this tough-as-nails performance for someone who has everything to lose at an instant. Does it so well. She's got the... I mean, the, the, the entire film, ultimately, you know, it, it just falls on her, it, 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 it just falls into her hands, and she's, 
it, it, it depends on her to carry it, really. And she does a good job. She does a really good job of carrying the film when it asks her to, you know? She's really the, the main character of the film, Rona. It's centered around her. It's based on her. So, And, you know, for her to be given this task, to be asked to just deliver such a performance that is... I don't want to say demanding, but the character of Rona, not everyone can pull this role off. And I think she does it. Um, she, she just, she's put on a clinic, to be honest with you. There's a lot of people in this movie and she stands out, uh, because, you know, we, we gloated about her as an actress at the start of the podcast. So we've already talked about, you know, that aspect, but you know, at the end of the day, she is the backbone for this movie. She does a great job. She kicks ass. She's tough as nails. Like I said, she's everything that you could ever want for a lead character. And yeah, that's why she's my MVP. Yeah, I mean, mine's the same. Uh, you know, Sarah Polly uh, definitely steals the show. I mean, everybody's good. Um, but yeah, I definitely think she elevates her character more. I mean... You know, a lot a lot of the other actors have a little bit more to work with, I think, in the script and as far as character. Mm-hmm. Whereas Sarah Polly has uh, a character who can easily become off bitchy or <laughs> right. opportunist or, you know, just unlikable. But she still makes it like makes the run of character likable uh, just through, like I said, her facial expressions. You just know exactly what she's thinking or exactly what she's going through um, and just making her like a tough street smart woman you know I, I totally agree with everything you said i think she's uh obviously the main character the backbone uh for what everything comes from and yeah she's really good i i really like her character and you know if they would have made a sequel to this i would have liked to have seen more of her character and uh the other characters in this too but uh especially her just to see her progression uh she Sarah Polly really does a good job bringing character to life and making her believable. I mean, she seems like somebody that I would be friends with. So that's a huge compliment for a fictional character. You know, she seems real and somebody I'd want to hang out with. Agreed. All right. It's time for you and I to deliver our final effect ratings. Ow. On a scale of one. Ow. On a scale. Ah. On a scale. No. On a scale of one to ten. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten. Give me the damn veggies. What do you think? All right, I'll go first. Four stars. In the end, Go is most certainly a fast-paced taste of 90s nostalgia that still holds up after 24 years. The film's format is creatively utilized to fit the film's unique plot, and in the end, there are so many factors that still hold up, including the acting, the film's writing, the structure, the comedy, the look of the, and the look and feel of a, 19, a 1999 movie that revolves around the rave on Christmas Eve. It's just a fun ride. He's, you know, it's, it's it features a who's who cast from the 90s. I'll be the first to admit this movie's not for everybody, but it's still for me. And if you're a fan of movies like this, or if you at least give it a try, I think you're going to like what you see at the end. I think this movie is... It deserves all the praise that we're giving it. it. It's, you know, everything from the characters to fun. This movie is fun. I don't think I've said that yet in this podcast. It's a real fun movie. The writing from John August is top-notch. 
cinematography is awesome the soundtrack is great the characters you know hit or miss with some of them but for the most part we've got some really strong central characters in this movie that dare i say have range you know even when it's not ass even even when there's characters characters like oh man i don't know like um claire for example katie holmes you know she has range in this movie doesn't really ask for her to have range. She's supposed to be just a secondary, dull, boring best friend who's like, you can't, you're not supposed to do that. But no, like, I don't know whether it's if I should be complimenting Katie Holmes, the actress, or John August's writing. But, you know, she, it's, it's in the end, it's a character that comes out on the other side that is more likable, that you know i i'm just i'm i'm ranting now but yeah you're kind of rambling yeah (laughs) you're kind of rambling now to bring it back in though this movie has so much going for it after all these years it doesn't get boring it only gets better for me um you know i i typically rewatch this movie once every few years or so it never gets old It, it it never i love this movie that's my that's my rant and rant four stars out of five Corey, what about you yeah mine's pretty similar uh three and a half out of five uh solid movie i i all parts of this movie work all parts of this movie are good in my opinion you know from the actors and performances uh you know just stacked cast great performances uh from the writing from august like you said the directing from lyman is good uh the yep. soundtrack is great i just everything works like there's the not editing one... forgot to mention the editing the editing is yes. awesome yes the editing and the fast-paced stuff you mm-hmm. know some people might roll their eyes and say that's yeah, the 90s but it works for the movie that's what it is that was a style that's what it's going for and it's a movie about a rave centered around it so you mm-hmm. know I, I give it a pass in that respect there's other movies where i do roll my eyes with it but uh for this one it gets a pass i think every part is good there's really no glaring flaw there's really not much i would change you know it's just a solid fun movie and the best compliment i can give for it is like i said it just gives me that feeling of you know like when i would go out uh you know with you and all our friends who have fun on a saturday night this movie gives me that feeling and that's exactly the feeling i feel like they're trying to elicit and that's a good, you know, that's a sign of a great film when it's, uh, you know, make changing my mood and making me feel uh, better than I previously was or making me feel like I'm in the moment or making me want to hang out with the characters, like I said before. Uh, that's the highest praise I can usually give movies, so, uh, you know, I'll give it here as well. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely gets my seal of approval. It's a fun movie. It's not, like I said, it's not one of my all-time favorites, but it's a solid film, and it's one every time I watch, I think I like it a little bit better. Uh, you know, I just think I appreciate it a little bit more. So yeah, solid film. If you haven't checked it out, especially if you're around our age, it's like, what are you waiting for? You're probably going to love it. Uh, just like oh, we yeah. do. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about that. All right. This episode's been sponsored by Puffs Tissues, the perfect nose stuffer for your puffs from the pipe. As always, this is not a real sponsorship, rather more of a faux sponsorship. It's a harmless comedy bit and isn't meant to be ever taken seriously. Relax, these are the jokes. Unfortunately, (laughs) that is going to be it for our Go Breakdown, a film that without a doubt gets our 100% full film effects seal of approval. One down, many more to follow. 
Check out our ever-growing collection or previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. And please be sure to follow us on all of our our active social media platforms. More importantly, Twitter and Facebook. But you're also more than welcome to join us on Instagram and TikTok while you're at it. We want to hear from you. So please let us know what you thought of this episode or any of our previous episodes from the archive. You can do that on Apple, Spotify, Facebook. Send us an email or wherever you're listening that gives you the ability to leave ratings and reviews, do so. Kick off your weekends with an all-new FewerCast episode each and every Saturday, and of course, a brand new edition of the Film Effect Podcast premiering every single week. Now, before we get out of here, I want to let the listeners know that our Film Effect Favorites podcast is actually now being released the same time as this. So chances are, if you're hearing this episode... You can also check out our favorites that we did, the top 10 individual uh, rankings, as well as our complete film effect collective top five at the end of the episode. And then (laughs) starting next week, we will be kicking off the new year with everybody hosting their own editions of the film effect podcast throughout January. I'll be kicking off the first episode of 2023 with Corey and I breaking down the criminally underrated revenge film i love a good revenge film death sentence directed by saul's james wan featuring kevin bacon in a menacing performance as well as john goodman and a slew of other people as well as the late kelly preston a lot of people in that movie uh but yeah great film can't wait to talk about it that's gonna be my episode we're gonna be kicking off the new year with it so if you've never seen death sentence Please check it out before hearing our breakdown of it next week. Until next time, when we try and make sense of just what went wrong with the underrated death sentence and why nobody saw it, I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this has been the Film Effect Podcast. That's all, folks. Time to go. <laughs> waka waka. This concludes our broadcast day.